We spotted the ocean at the head of the trail. Where are we going? So far away. Somebody told me this is the place where everything's better. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week we have a really special twofer for you again. It is two excellent, excellent singer-songwriters, Glenn Phillips and Garrison Starr. I'll tell you more about Garrison when we get there, but the reason these two are paired together is because they are about to hit the road on a tour together, which I cannot wait to see. First up is Glenn. Glenn, as most of you know, I guess his main job at this point is probably being the front man for Toad the Wet Sprocket. They had hits in the early 80, early 90s, I should say, like this one, Walk on the Ocean, All I Want, Come Down, Good Intentions. One of the best bands of that era, honestly. Well, the band sort of fluctuates. They go in and out of activity, but Glenn has maintained a really solid solo career ever since. And he has a brand new album out coming out this weekend called There Is So Much Here. And I say that, I love this album, and I say it that way because Glenn can be a very deep, sometimes to, by his own admittance, almost depressive, heavy guy. And you would think that a new album from Glenn at a time like this in our history would, would reflect that, and yet it doesn't. To me, it's a very optimistic, very beautiful sounding record that sounds positive. And you wouldn't always think about that when it comes to Glenn. I asked him about that in here, and I'm curious why that's where he is these days. I guess it maybe it even comes as a surprise to him. I have two copies of this new CD to give away. I'll tell you about it in the middle section here between Glenn and Garrison. But he and Garrison kick off their tour uh, this week. Anyway, we get into all the really heavy topics, to be completely honest. We talk about faith. We talk about mental health. We talk about politics. We talk about philosophy. As I said, Glenn is a very deep guy. And so some of it might go over your head. Some of it might hit you straight in the heart. And we get into some of my favorite songs of his. Uh, he's a big Talk Talk fan. So am I. And so we get into a lot of that stuff too. Okay. He called me from his home in California. Maybe he lives down in LA. I thought he was like closer to Santa Barbara. I can't remember. Anyway, somewhere in California. Um, I have to admit, Glenn, when I, um, when I think of you, <laughs> I imagine somebody who saves his poppier songs for Toad and his like sadder songs for his solo work sometimes. And I don't know if that's, if that's just me projecting or if, if that's kind of what you do. But when I listen to There Is So Much Here, it's a very optimistic so uh, album, all of it. I mean, right out of the gate was Stone Throat. It was the longest winter And then the shortest spring We need an endless summer I want to spread my wings I want the wild and the wayward You seek the subtle Don't 
And it's poppy, and it's the whole theme of this album seems to be focusing on optimism and on what's good. And at a time like this, when I think you and I are politically aligned, it feels so difficult to do that. How have you, of all people, done that? Well, I mean, I write the songs I need to hear. Ah, (laughs) (laughs) If that makes sense. Uh huh. the, these this group of songs is interesting too because it's not material I necessarily planned on writing. These mm. were all from a songwriting game, and mm. so all songwriting all the titles, game. Did you say? Yeah, the game was originally invented by Bob Schneider, okay. uh, where he'd have a prompt every week. I've heard about and this. You'd have a group of songwriters, and you had to use those words. They didn't have to be the chorus of the song, but you had to use Mm -hmm. the words in the prompt at some point during a song. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing this for probably 10 years now or close to with with Matt, the electrician, Mm -hmm. who friend of Bob Schneider's and also out of Austin. And his game is a little looser. If you miss a week in Bob's game, apparently you're out. Oh, Uh, where uh, Matt's a little more forgiving. There's probably like 25 of us in it right now. Um, I just talked about this with someone recently and I'm trying to remember who it was or else I heard about it. Anyway, continue. This is all sounding very familiar. Yeah. So for for me, this album's almost like a Rorschach test. Uh, (laughs) it's, it's all these songs where I got handed a title and I was as surprised as anyone as to what came out of the title. If that makes sense. Yeah. Wow. So I have to admit the last time I really heard a lot from you, was when you were uh, promoting Swallowed by the New. And that was a, a really turbulent time in your life. And yeah. um, for more reasons than it was, I mean, we were all dealing with the, you know, election of Trump and everything. You were going through a divorce and all this kind of stuff. That was a heavy period. And uh, yeah, divorce, I think divorce about- Divorce and empty nest. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I, th- uh, and I thought about, I, I, I remember I've thought back on your interview with my friend, Eric, that I mentioned over these last few years when things have felt so difficult. And, um, I think, boy, I hope, I wonder how Glenn's doing because I know how I feel, but you being able to pull all this optimism out of somewhere, what do you attribute that to? Well, I don't know. I mean, once again, like I said, I was as surprised as anyone when when this group of songs kind of came together and I decided on it as the yeah you know the ones for the record. Um, I had noticed, oh, I, I let myself fall in love again. Yeah. I didn't intend on doing, that, but I did. Okay. <laughs> I, I and you know, there's there's definitely uh, some sadness, right? There's skeleton for school. Taken all I can to fill the empty 
space inside my soul Will I sleep tonight Or just spin in the unknown Call me And Letty and Anarchy yeah. and uh, Bluest Eye, uh, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're, it's not like the album is no. without dark moments, but yeah. there's also some some actual joy in it and some songs. I mean, you know, even Toad is famous for having like upbeat sounding songs with crushing lyrics. That's true. So, uh, <laughs> That's true. So, it, yeah. you know, there's there's. There's some upbeat songs, not all, but there's some actually upbeat, upbeat songs on this with non-crushing lyrics. Um, That's true. I, I think I've just needed to concentrate on the good more. Um, I mean, even the last week, uh, I'm I'm just getting over. I'm down to the faint line on the COVID test now. Oh, okay. Having my my first round with COVID. Really. And Ooh. and the physical effects weren't huge. I mean, mostly fatigue. Mm -hmm. um, but. Mentally, I, I completely crashed. I mean, I'm a I'm depressive. I I have a, a cycle of depression, and mm -hmm. it I was already kind of tilting that way. And I had a, a few days of, um, you know, fairly complete despair. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, even in the last few days, I, uh, you know, I'd been listening to lots of you know, podcasts about conspiracy theories and, and, oh. and uh, anti-vax uh, stuff and trying to figure out why people believe what they believe, not, mm -hmm. not listening to, you know, how can I say, I'm not listening to QAnon podcasts. I'm listening right. to podcasts about people deconstructing yes. why, like, you know, podcasts like Conspirituality or Decoding sure. the Gurus or Taking Apart the IDW, that kind of thing. And I realized even if I was trying to understand why people would believe these crazy things, it was taking up a lot of rent in my head. Mm -hmm. uh, so I just desubscribed a bunch of podcasts. Good. And, uh, I, I, I love you know, I think the New York Times is a good, well-vetted source of news for the most part. And uh, even when they get it wrong, they fact check. But I also, uh, you know, cancel my subscription to the New York Times. I like, I'm, I'm going to, I like, okay, I got to the point where I'm like, I need to be listening to more uh, like Tara Brock Dharma talks. And I need to be, you know, I need to yeah. be watching my inputs because yeah. I can spiral really easily into this it's yeah. like skipping skipping rocks up a creek where mm -hmm. you know you have no balance and it's like oh no i'm worried about the environment the environment's yeah. going to shit so i'm going to jump over here but now i'm worried about the stability of the united states and the economy yeah. and fascism and anti-semitism yeah. and racism and mm -hmm. like you know uh, and so i'm jumping uh, you know to the next stone and mm -hmm. that's like you know personal feelings of failure and there's no safe mm -hmm. place to land no. at all i am really grateful for my fiance because <laughs> she is a grounded person who also knows what it's like to be um depressed and she yeah. is really adept at self-care and Good. at uh you know and 
I get so in my mind, I, I can really spiral out on information and I have to watch the information I put in uh, or I agreed. I lose it completely. And it's a weird balance of you try to, you also want to be informed. So mm -hmm. it's this question of that's the exact argument I have. Yes. I went through this similar thing a month or two ago after Biden gave what I thought was that excellent speech kind of calling out radical, you know, Republican extremists yeah. and stuff like that. And I thought, good, this is exactly what needs to be said. He's saying all the right things. And then of yeah. course he took a lot of heat for it and everything. And, and it just, and, and I'm trying to find a, a channel I'm watching CNN and they've got some, it's always a panel, you know, and it's a Trump apologist and it's a Biden person. And it's, well, he really is offending half the country by saying, and I'm just thinking, uh, I need to step away from this theater because every day I feel I'm, I get deeper and deeper invested in something good happening to these people yeah. or something bad happening to the people who deserve it. That would make me happy and yeah. make me feel cons uh, satisfied. And it never seems to happen. And every day yeah. I'm just waiting on the, t you know, it's today's the day someone's going to prison. Someone's going to get in trouble. This is all going to end. And it never does. And I thought, I can either ruin every day of my life waiting for this to happen, or I can just take a step back and think I'm not going to be a part of this game anymore, you know? And I'm, yeah. but like you said, when you do that, you feel less informed, which is the hard part, but I also emotionally couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. Well, and I think the, the, the concern in, in, by watching by by consuming media and taking part in social media with politics i think we um feel like we're active mm. and so we're not doing activism on the street and i am hugely guilty of that in this mm. in in this the possibly the most consequential election cycle of uh, of us history this could yeah. be the end of free elections essentially yeah. and yeah. the crazy thing right is that both parties are are feeling that way right mm -hmm. it's a it's a wild time and i feel like midway through lockdown maybe even towards the end of lockdown was when i started to saturate on my own grievance and negativity and i realized i was being the thing i hate mm -hmm. i was being judgmental hateful well said. yeah uh, intolerant yeah. i was being what the right wing accuses the woke left of being. And so I had to look without losing my moral compass or my beliefs. Uh, I had to look at how I was in the world. I mean, I, you know, during the lockdown, I was doing these live streams and I lost, you know, at least half my audience by mm. talking about black lives matter and talking about, you know, it's like, and I was sloganeering just as, and reposting as badly as anyone else uh and while i don't disagree with my moral positions on this like uh my own reaction i mean it's this weird thing we are fighting a normalization of a type of hatred and othering and bigotry it's becoming very normal i mean just seeing the gloves come off on like mm -hmm. oh we can be openly anti-semitic we can just say yeah. the jews now right yeah. in the last few weeks like conde yeah. opened the mm -hmm. door and everybody's like yay, yeah we can yeah. we can just be honest about it now that, that's frightening to me mm -hmm. um 
because uh, I am one of the people they will throw in the ovens if they start yeah. firing them back up again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the overt, you know, race. And, I, and of course, I'm only mentioning the thing that applies to me, the overt mm-hmm. misogyny, the overt racism mm-hmm. over and over, the anti-immigrant bias, the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the stuff that they tried to kind of hide behind a little rhetoric that feels very blatant right now. Yeah. And it's yeah. just been normalized. But having to realize there's the part of me that goes in, okay, this is wrong. There is, and maybe there's no way through this. I think for me on this personal level, there's this question of, is there any reaching across the aisle? Because I've always felt like I've until recently been able to do that as much of a strident leftist as I was, Mm -hmm. I think because of a lot of the Christian imagery and Mm -hmm. Toad's lyrics, we always had a lot of evangelical listeners. Yeah. And and so I've had a lot of practice in talking to people with kind of wildly different uh, worldviews in a respectful way. Mm -hmm. And I found that recently it's become really difficult, if not impossible to do that. And so things are so triggered. I am so triggered. So I need to get past that. And there's this part of going, you know, if you're talking to somebody who's a conspiracy theorist, um, and so much of these fears that have kind of overtaken the, you know, MAGA world Mm -hmm. are, they're fictions, but they would be horrific fictions if they were true. So if in fact Hollywood and Nancy Pelosi were drinking the adrenal secretions of tortured children, that would be the most frightening thing ever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And to, and so part of me has to have compassion by at least allowing myself to go, okay, if you're existing in that reality, that would be a horrific world to live in. And then my question is, you know, how, how do you have compassion for that while also not holding water for poor, uh, you know, poor, poor fat? How do you talk yeah. to anybody and, and hold these two things? And part of it is for me, uh, I mean, I, I read a lot about psychology and, mm-hmm. you know, we all have um, our confirmation bias, right? Mm-hmm. We all believe in false stories. And the weird thing about confirmation bias is everyone who is aware of it uh, is fully aware of how prevalent confirmation bias is, that it's completely embedded in everyone except mm-hmm. possibly me, except yeah. I might be the one person who really sees beyond all that. Right. And I think that. And Alex Jones thinks yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right. and so I have to ask myself, where am I crazy? Mm. What do I believe in that is ridiculous mm. and or immoral at best? Mm-hmm. And you know, like flat out wrong. And and so I also have a, you know, the, the like I try to keep a self-inquiry because that idea that I could be in certain ways absolutely as blind as they are mm. doesn't make me accept the racism, the misogyny, the authoritarianism, the, the simple solutions for complex problems, the, yeah. uh, the complete anti-science, like the idea that all expertise is somehow falsified and that everybody's mm-hmm. just faking it, that yeah. everybody's just getting the answer they want. 
Mm-hmm. Um, everybody is biased. Mm-hmm. I mean, the good thing about science is it attempts to work against bias and it's yeah. not perfect, but the scientific method itself is a process of trying to disprove your thesis. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, you try to disprove. If you can't mm-hmm. disprove, you have a real theory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and I think a lot of people don't understand that about science. Mm-hmm. I think there are, um, there are ways of being that start with faith and you know apologetics is based on taking taking the facts that help what you think <laughs> right mm-hmm. yeah and and yeah. if you equate apologetics with science you have you have an issue yeah uh and so it, in any event it it's yeah it's been a hard time i think for everybody and i felt That's- like I, I, I felt really useless during the election cycle. And I've almost felt like, you know, all I could do is bring some kind of peace to people, uh-huh. you know, preach a little love, preach uh-huh. being kind to each other. Um, it's and great. Anytime I stick in anything that's slightly topical, I can sense ice covering a room. Really? And so I, it, it which, is really hard for me. Um, and, and I mean, recently, another podcast I listened to, one of the ones that I won't cancel is called The Illusionist. Oh, interesting. With Helen Zaltzman. Uh, she's, <laughs> uh, and she's an etymologist. So she's okay. uh, taking apart words, the, the history of words, the history of uh-huh. speech, how we talk about certain things. And there was one on kind of kindness that mm. just, made me so sad because it just talks about the idea of just be nice, be kind, feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, does erase uh, a certain amount of, of actual active, um, you know, uh, uh, bigotry or, you mm-hmm. know, that, that, Hey, can we all just get along and pretend this yeah. hasn't happened? But there, there are, there are facts about police violence. There are facts about rates of incarceration. There are facts about economic disparity and redlining of houses and an unwillingness Mm -hmm. of America to face its history and the consequences Mm -hmm. of that history. doesn't mean we need to walk around feeling. And the idea on the right, right. Is that we need to be feeling bad about that all the time. Uh, We don't need to be feeling bad, but we need to be feeling it. We yeah. need to be acknowledging it and we need to be challenging our own comfort. Yeah. And I think there's a difference in feeling bad and feeling uncomfortable. Totally. And totally feeling uncomfortable is a really good thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and it motivates change. It motivates yeah. change. It motivates growth. Yes. It's, uh, in terms back to the psychology stuff, it's the difference between stress and you stress, right? Mm. EU stressed. Mm. You stress is what happens when you exercise a muscle. Oh. Uh, you can tear a muscle, you can mm-hmm. break a bone, but you can also strengthen a bone by lifting. Mm-hmm. You can, not that I'm lifting, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you stress your muscle mm-hmm. uh, and it gets stronger. And in mm-hmm. the same way, uh, going through difficult circumstances, confronting difficult or conflicting emotions, being willing to challenge yourself and to be wrong mm-hmm. instead of going into shame or instead of going into, you know, 
knee-jerk reaction when you're wrong. Uh, it's the it, it's the ability to um, be vulnerable and yeah. actually grow and learn and be strong enough to realize when you got it wrong. And there's yeah. you know once again this thing these days of like I'm right. I've always been right. I'm right yeah. every time. Right. And where confidence is held in higher regard than competence, mm -hmm. uh, which once again is a great way to ruin a complex society. It's and, so true. Uh, so in true. any event. No, let me ask you about Stop. the faith. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I'm this is why I, no, this is why I like talking to you and thinking about you and listening to you is because you're a deep thinker on these things and you're a deep thinker on the things that matter. I wanted to ask you about, as you touched on earlier, faith and how it works into your writing, your life. Um, if I remember correctly, I was listening to another interview with you, and it may have been the same one with Eric, I don't remember, um, where I'm summarizing or paraphrasing, but the impression that I got is that you, like a lot of us, struggle with faith, with you know, believing, knowing, having hope. But if I remember correctly, the, the conclusion that you sort of came to was that it made you happier to believe or to hope and that happiness striving for happiness leaning into happiness pursuing happiness is better for you than the than the opposite would be and so you lean mm -hmm. into those feelings and i'm wondering first of all hopefully i'm getting that sort of right and secondly do you still feel that way what's your relationship to faith well it it's pretty close i mean my um my relationship is not really, I would say, conflicted anymore in terms of a general sense of belief, but I don't think I believe in anything that makes me stupider or less kind. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I, I've never been religious. Um, if I'm closer to any kind of general religious set of beliefs, it's probably Buddhism. Mm -hmm. um, just in terms of practice, I was raised Jewish with a lot of uh, Eastern religion influence through my dad. So he mm. gave me books on Sufism by Idris Shah and the Tao Te Ching and took me to Zen meditation classes as a kid. Mm. So I had a, it's very California, sure. uh, <laughs> but he was a physicist. So he was also mm -hmm. pretty grounded. Good. So, um, <clears throat> and I, I think a lot, actually, I mean, there's a song uh, on the album called Call the Moon Dust. You can call it magic, you can make believe, or just find the beauty in the things you see in a rosy sunset or a bloom flower. In the subtle shifting of a single hour In the eyes that catch yours from across the hall There is nowhere to perceive it all Uh, which is probably the closest to a prayer. Mm. Um, and in some ways that's referencing uh, 
uh, the last verse, which is, uh, you know, as the song of God is strummed on plunk length strings and the angels okay. drumming with their beating wings uh, to the song that was the birth of everything. There's no way to resist. You must join and sing. Mm -hmm. And so uh, plunk length strings are the tiny two dimensional, a plunk length distance is the smallest that anything can be and still exist. Oh, really? So string theory holds that these little two dimensional plunk length strings are vibrating <laughs> and even drifting in and out of dimensions uh just kind of warming between uh the dimensions that we are uh capable of perceiving and then all the kind of higher stranger folded dimensions i tried reading a book on this i tried reading uh brian green's elegant universe and i made the mistake of putting it down for a, a day or two and i i couldn't pick it back up and follow it anymore yeah yeah uh but my dad was reading and i'm not sure which book it was on his deathbed and he was a physicist and a mathematician he would work calculus proofs just to go to bed at night mm -hmm. and so the last like real conversation i had with him before he really went into um uh, his kind of pre-death state mm -hmm. um he was reading this book on string theory and he was kind of that got him ready to die he just mm. kept saying the world is so unimaginably complex yeah. so unimaginably beautiful like there's no way we can't even calculate well into four or five dimensions and then mm -hmm. you know there's whatever there are seven or nine like it's so complex that anything could exist anything yeah probably does exist everything yeah. is there there's god in there mm -hmm. and that when i think of god and in the last many years i i am trying to kind of reclaim the word god from myself from being that oh. something that describes you know there's the uh the biblical thing of god making us in in his image right and mm -hmm. uh he so he's gendered and he must mm -hmm. be a person he must mm -hmm. be a human being a big mm -hmm. human being that made everything mm -hmm. and and i think we tend to make god in our image and mm -hmm. we tend to um ascribe very human characteristics you know the jewish god is a jealous god and a mm -hmm. you know uh, and um for me I feel like what happens in, in most religions is that there's kind of a children's version, a metaphorical description of something that's ineffable. And then that description kind of becomes, it, 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 that children's version replaces the actual mm -hmm. thing that these metaphors are trying to describe. And you mm -hmm. end up with a, a kind of simplified mechanistic universe where human beings are at the center of it and uh, if we do a series of particular actions and say certain incantations in the right way mm -hmm. uh we will have eternal rewards yeah and uh i don't think that's how things work um but yeah what i'm willing to say is that the universe is far more complex and beautiful than we can imagine and the more we learn the more beautiful the more complex and the more yeah. baffling it is yeah. and that part of that in religion is it's the acceptance of mystery and wonder mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. utter awe to yeah. be in the holy of holies 
yeah. is to have your mind torn apart with mm -hmm. what actually is. Yeah. And you can yeah. achieve that in ways that are, you know, the ecstatics of the Sufis or of psychedelics. Mm -hmm. And you can have that in the simple emptiness of mindfulness mm -hmm. to simply take any moment where the mind can pull away from mm -hmm. thought and past and future and simply be and sense. Yeah. And that the fullness of those moments is incomprehensibly beautiful. And to me, and this is the only place where I go. And, and to me, the other thing is the act of prayer, the act of saying thank you, the act of yeah. suffusing myself with awe is the best feeling in the world and yeah. gives me a strength and an optimism that I can carry to other people and in the work I do and to want to lift the spirits of others to make them more resilient and loving yeah. and open. And so that's that's what belief is for me. That's what yeah. God is for me. Everything yeah. else is like story. And, and the one thing I will say that is like, yeah, this is, and I don't think any of that isn't true. That's all either experiential or kind of, yeah, mm -hmm. the, things are big and mm -hmm. awe feels great. And mm -hmm. it, it doesn't actually require that much belief for me. God is simply the name I choose to give it. Yes, And that when I'm in a state of awe or presence or prayer, and I, I say prayer not as a petitionary thing, mm -hmm. but as simply, um, I consider prayer to be a state of vulnerability and gratitude. Yeah. You're not asking for something yes. that you don't have. <laughs> You're mm -hmm. just calling on the resource of what That's is it. already within you and around you. And, and so saying all of those things, the one bit of belief I think I add to that, and I could be wrong, I mean, about uh, any of this, mm -hmm. but the part that I feel is strictly belief is that somehow underneath it all, that love is truly the most important part of it. And that somehow in all of this love is like the glue. Yeah. And, and that is an irrational belief. And I don't care that it is an irrational belief. Mm -hmm. I'm choosing to have that because yeah. it it's better. Um, it's better for everybody. It's better for everybody. And that there's yeah. this point, I mean, there's a beautiful Thich Nhat Hanh poem called call me by my true names. Uh, you know, that, uh it, what is it you know oh god so that my joy and pain can be one like it's also this realization that the the human experience all our pain all our happiness that it's not just about uh touchy feelies and feeling great mm -hmm. and and being in a state of awe it's about being able to be present enough i mean there's there's one distillation i think it was suzuki you know, there's that whole thing of like, describe Zen while standing on one leg, right? Mm -hmm. You know, Hillel did it with do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You know, it's mm -hmm. like that kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And he simply said a proper response. It's like the idea is life is going to throw grief at you. You're going to love things and they're going to change or die or move away, or you will. Uh, you will experience grief. You will experience loss. You will experience pain. Um you will experience the pain of injustice to others. You will feel like these distracted ones. You will feel the direct pain of, you know, whether it's your, whether it's nerve damage or <laughs> whether it's, uh, you know, things happening to people you love or to you, like that is inevitable. 
And these practices teach you to enter into that and to gain more capacity. And instead of having it send you into a tizzy or into poor thinking or setting you completely off balance, you practice in order to be present and capable. I mean, to me, that's what the story of the cross is. Mm. And, uh, you know, even, you know, Jesus, you know, where the kingdom of heaven, it is within you. Yeah. It doesn't exist anywhere else. It is within you. Mm -hmm. And, and so for me, these lessons are about learning to gain capacity. So not just Mm -hmm. for warm fuzzies, but to hold the pain as another truth of being and to move not into it in a masochistic, uh, you know, a masochistic way, but to grow bigger than it, right? If you've ever had major pain and had to deal with it. And I, I did, I mentioned nerve damage. I had, I remember. it's still basically always pins and needles in this arm. Really? So, and it gets cold. It starts feeling icy and heavy Ooh. and like three times its size. And so I'm always in discomfort at the, yeah. at the least. Um, but I had a year and a half or so of very unpredictable agony yeah. of just searing, cutting, burning sensations. And um, they gave me, you know, a bottle right after the surgery, they gave me a bottle of painkillers and I, I did use those immediately after, and I never got a refill cause I knew mm. they would keep giving it to me mm-hmm. and I could take painkillers for the rest of my life. I love right. opiates. Right. <laughs> Fun. <laughs> right. Why not? Uh, and yeah. I didn't want to be an addict. So I, I didn't take them and I had to learn how to pause and be present with pain and discomfort. Mm -hmm. And I also noticed that some of what I think are the most, the the practices and rituals that I have found that are are maybe um, the most enlightening are also sometimes the the most difficult and most painful and most unpleasant. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, there's a reason, and I, I have not, uh, done a vision quest or the Sundance. I have I have sat in sweat lodges. Um, oh, interesting. They're difficult. There's um, you know, you know, there's an Amazonian medicine called combo that basically just makes you um, vomit, purge. <laughs> <laughs> and there's something about. I mean, it's interesting. I, I met a guy recently, uh, Abe Partridge. He just did a thing on. Uh, snake handlers ah. uh, did a podcast called Alabama astronaut on the music of snake handling churches, which is amazing. Oh, and, no idea. And people tend to think that the snake handling churches think that the snakes won't bite them or that somehow they're faking it. And that's yeah. not the case. What they're doing is that they are saying actually that they are ready to die or face great pain at any mm-hmm. moment. And that brings them to the edge. It made me actually think of The Alpinist, that movie about the free climber. Yes. Is like that there is something about dancing on the edge of death or pain or being brought to your knees by doing something difficult. Yeah. um, That and willingly stepping into something that is difficult and painful, even um, that takes you places where just feeling all right can't take you. And, yeah. and can, can help to, I think, create a relationship with discomfort where you can start to understand your own resilience a little more. Mm-hmm. 
That's so, great. That. Uh, I, <laughs> I know. I love all this insights. I had a, uh, we can move on. I want to ask you about music. We'll get to the fun stuff here in a second. I, I had a I realization had a few years ago. No, that's, this is why I love hearing from you. <laughs> I had this realization a few years ago that kind of humbled me. And I feel like in a lot of ways, it, it occurred to me that there are as many understandings of who God is as there are people who have ever lived. And when you think about how some people approach Christianity or the rules or religion or whatever with such a surety that they're right, that they figured it out, that their interpretation of the Bible or of Jesus Christ or whatever is correct. And you think that every, even if, even the people that you go to church with or who are in your, or you sit in a sweat lodge with, or who read, listen to the same podcast as you, or read the same books, every single person that's ever lived has a unique spin or on the idea of God. Whether it, it, maybe their spin is that there isn't one, whatever it is, it's all unique. And so when you, it, it caused me to realize that coming at this topic, this particular topic, with any kind of assurance is just wrong because uh, how am I supposed to be the one guy out of the billions and billions of people who live now and have ever lived to have cracked this code? It's not going to happen. So just do mm. what do live according to your, your own sense of values and ideals. Hopefully it makes you a good person. Hopefully you makes you a good enough person that you can let others do the same thing. And uh, in the end, we'll see what happens. But I, I just, to judge or to um, condemn or to put down someone because their beliefs are different than yours, just feels so untrue. It's just so yeah. incorrect, you know? It's a strange thing about faith. I mean, there, there was, I, I think, an interview a while back. It was like the Dalai Lama and then a number of other um, you know, some bishop, a uh, Catholic bishop, you know, a rabbi, like, and there's this question if like, you know, asking, asking the same question to these, you know, different spiritual leaders. Mm -hmm. And one of them was like, what, if, if there were absolute incontrovertible scientific proof that your faith was not true, what would you do? Mm -hmm. And basically all of them said, that's not possible except for the Dalai Lama. Who just said oh, I'd stop believing what I believe, mm. <laughs> and and so <clears throat> there is a strange thing about faith, and we're narrative creatures. And I think where where people like Dawkins for me go wrong is in their, you know, their kind of you know disregard and shaming of people who have faith, or in their you know yeah. the like Ugh, idiots yeah. Uh, yeah. that it's the sign somehow of a weak mind. And we're narrative creatures. That's that's mm -hmm. what we are. And we have pineal glands. We have ecstatic experiences. We have moments of connection uh, where we don't, where we realize that the ego is uh, a fiction or that mm -hmm. the self is a fiction. And then there's just the basic physics. Once again, going back to the Planck length strings, that you know. I love this metaphor. Once again, I'm not going to build a religion on it, but uh, there is, you know, there's a Rumi poem of, you know, we come to the place where everything is music. 
There's a million ways to kneel and kiss the ground, right? And the idea that everything is music, that at that every single thing that is in this in this universe is built from these tiny strings harmonically interacting. And if they interact at uh, particular harmonies, they form the subatomic particles, which form everything. That the language of the universe actually is musical. It's about mm -hmm. harmony. Mm -hmm. And that um, the human expression of this, that we're all made of the same stuff, that we all came from, we're all one thing, right? Yeah. And And it can sound like a very new agey thing to say, but it's also like, yeah, we are. And even on the planet Earth, if you want to just go into living stuff on planet Earth, all life, there's a website recently that did a beautiful version of this. There's something called the mitochondrial event that I forget how many billion years ago it happened. But it was a eukaryote and a bacteria got together and kind of went and emerged. And essentially, the the mitochondria was the result of this where there was still a cell with a nucleus but the mitochondria was this battery was this way of utilizing energy that neither of these things had on its own mm -hmm. and that every bit of complex life in the in the world is the ancestor of that event wow and the wow. life may exist all over the universe but the idea of complex life if it happens in a similar way to this actually it was miraculous and so this means every fungus, every insect, every plant, every moss, mm -hmm. every human being, every mammal, every, everything yeah. has an ancestor, which is a beautiful thing to think yeah. about. Yeah. Uh, and so to go like, hey, it's one thing, We're yeah. just one thing. And, and I, that to me makes everything that much more precious and beautiful. That um, is beautiful. But Wait, where did we start on this? I got. I, we talking, I was just talking about my realization that there are oh, everybody wanting to be right okay. and yeah, everybody yeah, having yeah. a different. Yeah. Uh, but once again, back to confidence over competence, I think living in an uncertain world, and, and this is where I do think most religious practices are about living in an uncertain world. Mm -hmm. And some of them try to offer certainty. I wasn't there when the original teachings were being handed out, but if you go to, you know, red letter Jesus or early Gnostic texts or stuff, it's fairly esoteric. And he's, you know, speaking in parables and speaking like he's, you know, it's interesting to have a religion based on somebody who is so deeply metaphorical. Mm. And then the religion is so deeply uh, literal. Yeah. Uh, good point. <laughs> And, yeah. and so, uh, it, it, and that part to me is a trip, uh, that any, any time where he's not explicitly saying that it's, it's a metaphor is like, nope, that must be literal. And so it, it's, I mean, I, God, I, I, I think Jesus is really beautiful. I mean, it's interesting with faith. I think believing in, I mean, ritual works and, community works doing things together praying together singing together um there's so many things in that that are really powerful tools uh and having enough i think of a religious language and a framework that you're able to move in a direction is a, a you know towards 
the divine and towards the the solace that that gives and the structure it gives um you know most people that i know that have fallen out of their faith have done so because they found that their in group was very self-satisfied and that the people they know knew that they really respected that they felt were truly good people were often outside that in group and they were by definition not allowed to be good people but somehow there they were and every in group is filled with people who do petty human things every single one it doesn't matter if it's you know the group you know you know my hippies in the yurt it doesn't matter if it is the people in the church they are a group of people and there will be drama there will be infighting there will be people who think they are exceptions to the rule there will be power plays all of these things will exist because it's people and mm -hmm. no religious belief is a complete you know prophylactic against that and which is also betrayed by the fact that most religions when people act badly do their best to cover it up because yeah. we don't do that here yeah. right yeah <laughs> yeah and whether it's the baptists you know just in the last year the catholics the you know mm -hmm. ever or or you know uh, abuse in buddhist monasteries as well yeah. it's it's like nobody they're all filled with people yeah no one's they above do terrible it. things no yeah. one's above it yeah. and and any religious belief can be used as a shield for terrible behavior Mm -hmm. and everyone has been used as a shield for terrible behavior mm -hmm. it's a powerful tool and so to look at it as a powerful tool and you know I, actually one of the best things i ever heard about religion was from a friend who you know had said at one point it's just like i am faithful by choice i don't mm -hmm. want to live in a world where some of these questions aren't answered mm -hmm. i don't know if i can handle that right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I want this assuredness. I want yeah. what the, I want the peace that this gives me. Yeah. And I know that that's a choice. Yeah. And I think that's great. Yeah. And that's also not a belief. I mean, once again, if you have somebody going, well, if there's no heaven or hell, then why don't you just get a machine gun and shoot people? And yeah. my thought is always like, if that's all that's keeping you from doing that, <laughs> please keep your faith <laughs> right <laughs> right it's true it's really important that you mm -hmm. that you maintain your faith yes. if that's the only thing between that's you it. and a machine gun that's right that's um, right so yeah but that that idea that my belief is the only valid belief um to me all of these paths seem very true they're they're yeah. about a human experience yeah and uh you know it and i love it when i see people you know i'm going to sing at an interfaith uh, i'm getting off a tour and singing an interfaith thanksgiving celebration mm. in santa barbara and you know nice. i love it when people can reach out and mm -hmm. just understand their differences and understand that at some level these aren't necessarily contradictory but it's yeah. really hard i think if you've been brought up it is in a very literal faith um to open those doors without you know i, I say without throwing the baby jesus out with the bathwater. Right. <laughs> most of the people i know who yeah. were raised in that i i didn't get raised with a faith where i had to believe anything and i yeah. always envied people who lived in this magical world where yeah. 
there was a, a loving, caring God embodied as a, you know, non-metaphorically who they had a personal relationship with. It's like a profound way to walk through the world. Yeah. Uh, and it always makes me sad when I see friends who are having a deconstruction period mm-hmm. who really step completely away from it. Yeah, um, I agree. One of the things I love about Garrison is she... She doesn't know what God is. She loves God. And Mm -hmm. she has fought uh, through a lot of personal pain and bigotry and hypocrisy and, you know, people around her who were supposed to be godlike, not acting in a godly way. Exactly. For her to hold on uh, is an act of really great strength. I mean, it's got to be hard for people, I think, in in the Trump era to be... How do you keep a congregation together as a pastor yeah. when your congregation is so split? Yeah, um, I've been hearing about this exact thing. Yeah, There's and how do you friend, keep your own faith if your faith's yeah. been overtaken by crazy intolerance mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and a a prophet that is by any you know rational assessment an absolute con man? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, it's proven. There's evidence. Yeah, I know. He's never been anything else. He exactly. That's well said. Yes, that's it. Um, okay. So, Let me, uh, this is, <laughs> I love going deep with Glenn Phillips. This is great. Okay. Rapid fire. I'm going to throw some songs at you. Some that I, many that I love that are favorites of mine that I want to just hear a quick story about. Uh, you like me are a giant talk, talk fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I just finished last week reading the new book on Mark Hollis. It's called a perfect silence. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know about this book uh-uh. came out earlier this year. I had the author on earlier this year. Uh, it's a fantastic book. Uh, just what's helping his, you understand. What's his name? His name is Ben Wordle and the book is called a perfect silence. Yeah. And, um, what's a little difficult about the book is obviously Mark did not participate, nor did any of his family and nor did like Paul Webb or Lee Harris or Tim Freescreen. So, oh. so he has to piece together the story of talk talk from everyone else. And, um, the engineer on the latter day, our, uh, talk talk albums is named Phil Brown. And I've had Phil on here. In fact, Phil and I did a deep dive last week of the Spirit of Eden album. Yeah, oh, so good. <laughs> yeah, I know. We went track by track. He was just telling me the whole story of how everything was made and stuff like that. Um, that's a long way of saying, number one, I think you would like the book, knowing that how much you love Talk Talk. Yeah. Number two, one of your songs, Back on My Feet.
I hear an influence of I Believe in You going on in that song. Do you know what I'm talking about, or was that conscious? That wasn't conscious. There's that high-pitched kind of, um, probably not a synth sound, but just whatever, those sort of disembodied angelic voices that are happening in I Believe in Uh You. I can hear some of that going on in the background of Back on My Feet. And I wondered if that was you, like paying homage to your favorite. It might have been. I, I rec- we recorded that so long ago. I can't even remember what it sounded like. Huh? Huh? I've yeah. just played it acoustic forever. So that's I probably true. Okay. Well, I heard uh, a. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Uh, that vocabulary, they're kind of the way they use. Um, ambience especially the way they use the or the uh, just the hammond organ mm-hmm. god the uh, hammond stuff on that is also gorgeous yeah. um so uh probably it's in my dna enough that yeah. you know the, yeah i figured okay i just wondered um another song going back to the <clears throat> sort of belief that we were talking about thank you on your mr lemons album mm-hmm. <laughs> this world you made this world thank you thank you you gave me life you gave me life you gave me life thank you thank you I love that song, and I wondered if that was you thanking this higher power, whatever it is, or are you thanking somebody else, something else? Well, I started writing that song with the intent of doing almost a farm-to-table thing, and I forget what I started with, but it's this idea of like, well, when we say thank you, we think, you know, how far do you go? Uh, right you can go back to the food the farmers the oh there's the trucker then who built the truck and what was the guy in the factory doing where did they get that steel from and who was in the mine and then who built the clothes of the person in the like and it was this kind of when do you stop thinking and and it so it ended up with like you made this world like uh it it ended up getting fairly universal and I was uncomfortable with it because at, at the time we recorded it, I was not, uh, I wasn't comfortable with 
doing something that could be confused with religion. Mm. Um, but, and, and, you know, it's funny. And there, I, I got responses for that song that it's like, well, you're finally an evangelist. Like, <laughs> say, Oh God, uh, <laughs> you know, I can't listen to this religious crap. Um, mm. but I mean, for me, it's just, it's about gratitude. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, wherever it comes from, and I guess it's that thing. I don't say thank you because I think anything outside of me needs to hear it. Mm-hmm. I say thank you because gratitude is a much better way to live. It, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, I do know exactly it, what you mean. Yes. It's like, I expect a reciprocity. The reciprocity is already there. The, yeah. the, 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 the abundance, the, the goodness, mm-hmm. all the tragedy too. It's already all there. Mm-hmm. Uh, saying thank you is a way of recognizing it that's right uh, and and so it, it's so that song was a little bit hard for me we were we were throwing together um what had happened on mr lemons was i was in the process of getting dropped by lost highway i was going to nashville to record some demos and we were supposed to start recording the album two months after that uh or I was going to go in and record and they said, how about instead you just do, how about some demos, mm. which in record company language means we've decided to drop you, but we're going to see if there's a surprise. Right. So I went to Nashville and told Nielsen who Nielsen Hubbard, who produced the record, uh, basically like, Hey, I'm going to get dropped. Mm. I'm hoping they'll give me these recordings or at least let me buy them back. Uh, after they drop me, but I have three kids and I can't afford not to have a record this year. Mm-hmm. So we need to record a record right now. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have enough songs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we'd recorded everything and we were scraping the bottom of the barrel for songs. And Nielsen's like, what else you got? What else you got? And I'm like, well, mm-hmm. this, but I'm really embarrassed by it. It sounds like a praise song. Mm-hmm. And I played it for him and he said, we're going to record it tomorrow, uh, brush it up. And so I finished it up that night. And the first time we, I, I gave the bass. I mean, it's only two chords. It's not, not rocket mm-hmm. science. And basically bass drums came in the next day and we did two takes. And I think that was take number one. And the wow. original take was like eight minutes long. It really? Just, went on forever and uh, we did this edit down to four or six minutes or whatever it was and i went into a total trance state for it uh and so yeah it's a a beautiful song uh it is but you're not still ashamed or embarrassed by it are you um no only because sometimes it i i feel like that when you enter into that kind of language, it's triggering for so many people. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's limiting. And as soon as something sounds like praise music or like, mm-hmm. and, and once again, you know, Garrison came and sang the, she sang the harmony on that mm-hmm. and she knocked it out of the park. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, Nielsen's a person of faith. And uh, it's interesting because I feel I feel less and less like I have to put, you know, it's my damn song. I can sing what I want, uh, but That's right. like I, uh, like I have to put disclaimers on it. But when you uh, 
speak in spiritual terms. And for me, it's part of saying, God, I don't know a better word for it. And I don't want to say like the one or the great spirit, because that's mm-hmm. taking it from someone else or mm-hmm. like there are all the, I don't know what the word is, yeah, right? God's, a, God's as good a word as any. And so I'm yeah. not going to use that, but yeah. uh, people then think because so many people of faith have the only one true faith and everyone else is wrong. Mm-hmm. And then they go granular and split that church in two and split that church mm-hmm. in two because someone in the other aisle got it slightly wrong. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like everybody's trying to be right. And and so there are a group of people who I think may benefit by just like being able to say, Yeah, yeah. I am in awe at being alive. I love it. How lucky am I to be a breathing organism on this planet? It is a yeah. freaking miracle. I don't know how it got here or what it means, but holy crap, this is amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I love it. Just that. <laughs> I love it. I I couldn't agree more. One um, of now we have some Patreon supporters. I got more songs I'm going to throw at you, but we've got some Patreon supporters. I always let them know who I'm interviewing, and they can submit questions if they want. One of them, <laughs> I have one of them is named Sugar Mouse, and I don't. I love that. That's what this person goes by. I don't know what that means, but I love it. <laughs> and uh, he or she or they or whatever. Um, at first, I had some questions around the spiritual nature of some of your songs, which we've covered. But their favorite song of yours is "The Moment." There are no mistakes in the final view. No blame. How could it be so wrong that your heart was braver than your will was strong? For every path you follow, there's another left behind. They were curious. I got to say the new constellation album might be my second favorite toad album. It is so good. And, uh, what's the story of the moment? That's what they wanted to know. I won't give any details. Uh, really? No. Interesting. It's not okay. what audio Judy. It's not what audio Judo thinks it is, but, okay. uh, you can the audio <laughs> Judo podcast on, on, okay. They go through it. It's not what they think it is, but it's, it's complicated. Uh, so I'm not going to give away the narrative, but yeah, I kind of, I, I like letting that one speak for itself. Okay, great. It's sugar mouse's like favorite song ever. So her favorite toad song of all time. And so, um, anyway, that's great. I love that there's mystery there. Let's leave it alone. Mysterious. That's good. Okay. I love it. Um, I wanted to ask you about butterflies
gave it to me. It's kind of missing. I couldn't be sure what it was. And of course, he wouldn't tell me. In time. You've talked about fear a billion times in your life, so I'm not going to make you do it again. I am. My one question is: Does butterflies have real drums or a drum machine? Because they sound really big. I believe it's real, but I think we may have uh, deconstructed it because the hi hat was so consistent on the 16th. Mm. I think he might have recorded the kick and snare, and mm. then recorded the hi hat separately. Okay. So okay. I think it was deconstructed. Okay. Yeah, they're so whopping on there that I wondered if it was a like a drum machine instead of an I actual drum. I don't believe it is. Uh, okay. But I, I do think he recorded, yeah, I, I, I think he might have broken it, the kit down for that one. Okay. Yeah, that's there's a, on the new album, <laughs> there's a couple of songs. Uh, Stone Throat is one, Sound of Drinking, which is up there for as maybe one of my favorite Glenn songs. So this is what it's like now Without the constant leaving To sit and sense the seasons To be him and he be Sound of drinking water, the turning of the leaves, the movement of the moon, the spaces in between, the Uh, that have a beautiful female vocal harmony going on behind it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't sound like Garrison. Maybe it is. Who's singing on those songs? And bless your heart for including it, because it elevates both those tunes to this really celestial level, if you ask me. Yeah. Uh, Stone Throat is Natalia Zuckerman. Okay. Uh, was on tour with Toad uh, last summer, and we... She lives in upstate New York and I, she's got a little barn and I brought in my laptop and a little Apogee interface and uh, wow. 
got some vocals there and then the other uh sound of drinking is uh dominic uh i always say her name wrong asiero okay uh and she she sang the vocals uh and her husband sean watkins uh played oh sure oh okay yeah okay yeah i didn't realize um was sound of drinking one of those bob schneider name things that you had to write a song to no they're they're all from matt the electrician oh uh, sure i am okay. part of matt's game uh and every song on the album was from that was from that okay the entire album okay yeah uh so yeah sound of drinking and that one i kind of knew that everybody else i, I knew it was going to be a lot of songs about bars <laughs> right uh and i'm like i'm not going to write a song about a bar and that's all i knew and i mean it really turned into just talking about the um you know silver linings of lockdown it's the longest i'd ever been home i moved in with my fiance i was able to kind of quiet my mind and i had purpose i got to go to work every day i did five live casts a week i did you know three live casts one uh what is it called stage it and one uh kind of virtual choir gathering um so i stayed really busy i played more music and more guitar and learned more songs than i've ever learned in my life i and i got to be home with my love and just have all the ups and downs of regular domestic life that that's great um, i have you know start to have a home again that's Um, great good for you you deserve that yeah so um what about dual citizen from the last toad album it's so different you know this it's funky and it's almost like a techno vibe going on there how did where did that come from Dual Citizen came out of the, it was actually another one of Matt's titles. Um, and there's a few songs on, on starting now that are Matt titles. Also a few songs on, uh, on uh, Swallowed by the New. new. Um, I was Swallowed by the New. I was trying not to write songs about what I was going through. And then yeah. I kept getting title. I got the title, uh, Reconstructing the Diary. Mm. And I was like, and then I got leaving Old Town the next week. And I'm like, God damn it. I'm writing my voice songs. So, uh, but Dual Citizen was another title from Matt. I was playing with Logic and there's, there's a, uh, 
company called Sonic Couture that does these really great sample libraries. And they have one on this Martinot, which was this like, I think is how it's pronounced. I'm probably getting it wrong. It's this early electronic instrument that has these really, it's this really like a, a little bit inspired by, um, like lcd sound system There's oh interesting yeah there you go is, where they have this like great organ bass that's just mm -hmm. so shitty sounding i loved it mm -hmm. and i was playing in logic and just kind of playing with sounds and uh so that started as this it just started that way and i kind of finished a version of it and then we just kind of loaded it in and the rest of the band took a swing at it and added other things and changed I love it. stuff around. Okay. Um, so it definitely came out of that. Okay. Uh, it's, it's different than the rest of the album. Uh, yeah. and we even had demo itis on it. That's the only mix I did on the record. I, I, we had, uh, there was something in the vibe of that. It's not as well mixed as the rest of the record, but we couldn't like, get the vibe mm. quite right mm -hmm. um and so yeah it was a, it was fun i mean starting now in general it's like my my regret on that it, you know it happened during it was just before lockdown i'd been starting to work on a solo record and then i realized i was actually working with sean Watkins, and and i realized it it was time for I had all these songs, but it was time for a Toad record. It wasn't time for a solo record. And so I switched over the songs that were appropriate. And then once we got into lockdown, I think just the, the modes we were in, um, Todd wasn't writing at the time. And so I was kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel for songs that might work for the, the album. Um, and Todd was just wanting to really concentrate on guitar parts. And it's, it's a funny record because it it's, it, I think, really suffers from the lack of his writing. Oh, and, interesting. Um, and from, like, it, it, he is such a huge part of what makes Toad Toad, and increasingly, mm -hmm. too, with, um, you know, California Wasted, and is there anyone out there uh, that, you know, the musical contribution, Dean's musical contribution mm -hmm. has really been lifting. And I, I failed, maybe, by not trying to kind of, push more <laughs> mm -hmm. to, to get stuff um, from the other guys or not asking well enough or you know, oh, what, what, whatever ball got dropped there. I think it needs those other voices more. Yeah. Uh, and so it's funny. It's like, I feel like that's the part of the record that, that suffered from that. Uh, Cause usually I write about half the songs and the other half are co-writes, mm -hmm. uh, mostly Todd's music. Um, but I also feel like that record is some of Todd's best guitar playing ever. It's great. Like his oh, yeah. parts on that record, like he really put everything into them. They're just phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, it's his tone and like, it, like absolutely incredible parts. Yeah. So there's a balance in there, yeah. but the, the next, the next record is going to be more collaborative and more okay. like, but uh, it was hard to do that during lockdown, you know? It, is there already a we next were all toad? juggling a lot yeah of course is there already a next to toad album in the works even in the beginning stages uh just just talking right now okay. we've got like three projects we have our eye on um, okay and so okay but uh already talking about kind of like what cool. kind of attitude we want things to have great uh i got I one we're, more we're 
good. We're good. How can I say this? We're feeling so good about live now. I would love to do a record that's a little more like Dulcinea. Mm. Um, Dulcinea was like when we got in to do Fear, you know, we love to talk, talk and, uh, you know, Tears for Fears and mm -hmm. Peter Gabriel. And like, I loved huge productions. Yeah. And so we had, you know, two 24 tracks synced up. We had 48 tracks. It was pre Pro Tools. It was like we were going to make a big record for, for our first major label because we didn't know if we'd ever get to go in a big studio sure. again. And then we did 300 shows for that. When we came time to do Dulcinea, it was like, we're a live band. We're mm. going to make a record that sounds like us live. Mm. And if you listen to that record, um, I think it is almost entirely it's two guitars, bass, drums, a keyboard, harmonies. There's almost sense. nothing that you can't. Like right. The attitude was, we're going to do a record that's going to sound huge and that's going to sound like we do live. Yeah. And yeah, I love the way we've been sounding live. And I'm really hoping we can kind of do Good. something like Dulcinea again. And just instead of like the constant overdub and production uh -huh. process, like really, uh, we'll see. We might, I, uh, we might not. I hope you do. I've only I saw I've only seen you once in concert, and it was in the spring of 1994 in Fort Lauderdale. I um, <laughs> talking about religious, uh, you know, histories and stuff like that. I'm I'm I grew up Mormon and um, still am more or less, and, but I had just come home from my Mormon mission, like a week mm -hmm. or two. No, it was maybe three weeks before, and so I my sister took me to see you and Gegita in concert and uh in fort lauderdale and it was so great i um i'm trying to get tommy from gegita on here he and i've been emailing but i haven't heard from him mm -hmm. for a while but he's it was mercurial. such a fun show what's that he's mercurial he is yeah he is i can tell. I gotta catch up with him i love that guy yeah me too in fact i had susan rogers on here last year and we had a nice conversation about gegita and toad and prince yeah, of course God. I am jealous of her trajectory. No kidding. <sighs> She's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. She is pretty amazing. She and is amazing. Um, as you're okay, talking about, and it's funny, it's like back to neurology. Uh -huh. first, you say Mormon, and the first thing I thought of is I just read an article yesterday that was talking about, uh, it was the, it, like one of the strangest studies I've ever seen, which uh -huh. was of... Uh, while people are trying to figure out clinical use of uh, MDMA for like, mm -hmm. you know, PTSD therapy, primarily. Mm -hmm. um, there are also the questions about does it cause brain, right? There were the early tests where it was found out that they were giving people, they were giving rats, uh, uh methamphetamine and not mm -hmm. MDMA. And they were saying, look, it damages the brain, but it actually mm -hmm. wasn't MDMA. Have you heard about this at all? It's this Harvard no. study. I don't think so. There, it, the LDS did not specifically mention uh, MDMA as far as pro prohibited substances for a very long time. I'm not sure if they've changed mm. the tune on that. Mm. And so there was this subset of Mormons who did not drink, smoke pot, did not do any drugs except for ecstasy. And so which is really bizarre. I did not know explicit. this. Yeah. So, um, 
And so they were actually able to do a study and find, because the thing is people who would normally take ecstasy would be taking other drugs. Yeah. And so it was essentially like this one group that offered these researchers a pristine soul to see in isolation. <laughs> wow. Right. Like not yeah. what happens if you do ecstasy and you drink yeah. a bunch of beer and you go out and then you do some right. cocaine. It's like, yeah. And they only, the, yeah. And then looking at looking at all the neurotransmitters. And wow, <laughs> that's so odd. I mean, there. I mean, as you know, most Mormons don't smoke or drink or drink coffee or any of those things. Yeah, there is becoming a sort of Mountain fringe. Sub What's that? Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew. There's a lot of Mountain Dew. I'm a big, I drink a lot of Coke. Um, but there's a becoming this subset of they're most likely former Mormons who are. Um, uh, really into psychedelics these days and they're hmm. so it it might be those except those people because they are mostly former mormons are doing that and everything else because they were taught their yeah. whole life not to do them and so now they're indulging in everything everything but yeah yeah but that's uh that's interesting i, I wouldn't have i didn't know that it does just Our, the strangest little study yeah it really is like that <laughs> well mormons are strange people we sure are people um okay are strange people that's true good point thank you thank you yes. for making it more universal um okay last yes. toad song i want to ask you about are we afraid it's on the in light syrup album reason i ask about it specifically is because of the beautiful piano intro which again going back kind of to dual citizen doesn't sound like most other toad songs in fact and i don't know which came first it's always reminded me a little bit of pm dawn's i die without you which i'm you, I'm, you probably weren't thinking about when you wrote it but that's what it reminds uh -huh. me of you know that was my cheap attempt at a kind of uh color of spring era song from talk talk there you go there you go so i it was the only thing i ever wrote on the piano uh -huh. and i just i didn't even have lyrics uh -huh. it's like mumbly mark policy uh -huh. yes uh, as, as far as i'm concerned that song is just like an unrepentant uh Ooh. poor attempt to do something yeah. vaguely talk talky got it love it okay that makes so much sense. Are you, what is it with you and the word down? You have five songs that end in the Do word I? down. Yeah. Come, come down, down come down. back, come back down, hold her down, fall down, slowing down. And I, the reason I mention that is because I know like Rivers Cuomo keeps like spreadsheets and has creates like algorithms of songs that 
these songs are catchy and these words work and stuff like that. Are you cognizant of this? Um, Rivers Cuomo is trying to win. Yes. <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> I, I don't give a shit about winning. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, and he's doing a great job of it. Yeah, I'm obviously yeah. not. Yeah. So I just write what I feel. I don't know. Right. I, I, okay. I should probably be more strategic. I mean, even no. this record, I talked to Compass Records and was like, yeah, I should do a, an Americana record because, you know, I've had my touring with the people from Nickel Creek. That's a, you know, solid thing. There's a, a press and uh, there's, you know, there's festivals and there's a wildlife. There's a way you do an Americana record. That's kind of easy to promote for them. And I handed this in first thing Gary said is like, well, it's not the record we talked about. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's so good. No, I I'm not uh, criticizing it or anything. I just thought, I wonder if, in, if you've ever been aware of that and self-reflected in a way that, I wonder what, uh, Oh, the downs. Yeah. The downs. I just thought, I wondered if that's, it's a word. I, like I say the word, whatever a lot, maybe I'll I would to write songs. With whatever. Soon. No, you, don't, you don't have to, it's just a question. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, Glenn, I think you're wonderful and, um, you're going to be here in Denver on the 10th and, yes. uh, I'm going to try and make it out to see you. Uh, awesome. thank you for thank chatting you with me. I just think you're a fascinating mind and a wonderful songwriter and I'm grateful for you. Uh, thank you so much. Really great talking to you. Of course. All right, there you have it. Glenn Phillips. I love him, and I love this new album, and I really hope you guys will check it out. Again, I have two copies to give away. There is so much here. And uh, as usual, they will go to a couple of our Patreon supporters. I will put out an email or trivia question, I should say, to the group later this week. If you answer, it puts you in the running to win, and then I do a random picker thingy this weekend, and I'll tell you if you won. Okay? Now, next up is Garrison Starr. I love this woman. So Garrison, like a lot of people in the 90s, kind of got one of those big major label uh, contracts. She put out a couple of albums, and they just didn't do what people hoped they would. So she went indie, and she's been indie ever since. I discovered her in the, fir in the early 2000s with her third album, Songs from Takeoff to Landing, which is still my favorite Garrison Starr album. Um, if you know her, it might be from this song right here, Superhero. This is one of her better known songs. She's one of those people that reminds me a lot of like Jason Isbell and uh, Brandy Carlisle or Melissa Etheridge. A little too country for rock and a little too rock for country. But she's right up there with them, especially Jason to me. Well, she's been putting out fantastic music ever since. But it's really interesting because she's been really having to come to terms with who she is. And so we also get into a big conversation about faith and identity. She is a lesbian and she, it took her a while to sort of come out. In fact, she didn't even get to come out the way that she wanted to. She talks about that in here. And she comes from a devout evangelical family. And so the, you know, feelings, the, having the feelings she had in an environment like that, in the deep south, having to find her voice, having to find her talent, what to do with these things. What's interesting is that Garrison is the complete opposite of Glenn, where Glenn is sort of heavy and sensitive and thoughtful. Glenn is, or uh, Garrison is lighthearted, funny, upbeat, 
it is, <laughs> it's very, it's two contrasts, but it's all, it's so similar in theme. Anyway, I hope you guys like this one because I love Garrison so much. Please check out her stuff. She called me from her home in LA. I got to tell you when I became a Garrison Star fan, oh, so I worked okay. in the early 2000s. I was working for Tower Records in their okay. corporate headquarters. And, um, you know, at, there were just CDs all over the place all the time. And when uh, songs from Takeoff to Landing came on my desk and I thought, I've never heard of this person. I've never known a woman named Garrison before. Let's <laughs> let's pop this in and see what it is. And I fell in love with that album, especially Big Sky is still one of my favorite songs. One of my favorite songs of yours too. Thank you. And ever since then, I've been trying to pay attention to what Garrison Starr is doing. Oh, it means so much. What's interesting to me, though, is that I actually know very little about you. So here's here's what I have surmised over the years. You're from <laughs> the South, but you moved to L.A. probably to make it. And you eventually got a big record deal in the mid-90s. Mm -hmm. um, like a lot of people, it probably didn't work out completely. So you're kind of more of an indie artist now. Mm -hmm. I believe... Somewhere along the line, you came out, or maybe you were always out, but I got the impression that that's been a more recent thing, mm -hmm. and I know you have a lot of songs in TV shows and stuff like that, <laughs> and that you grew up you, really religious. That's <laughs> all I know. So I have... I'm so it's, excited for this because I want you to fill in all the gaps for me. Oh, dude. Listen, first of all, thank you so much for wanting the gaps filled in because I just had this conversation with somebody recently where I'm like, you know, like my name is bigger than me. You know, it's like this yeah. thing. Like, what is it? I don't know what it is. Is it a girl? Is it a, you know, well, I don't yeah. know what just happened. I don't know if I just had a stroke, but <laughs> is it a girl? Is it a guy? Is it a band? Is it a solo artist? That's like, what I wondered too. Gay? I wondered if it was a bad name. What the yes. fuck is it? You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and that's interesting to me. And I, I, you know, I think it makes sense because I think, well, I'm not sure exactly how it makes sense, but I just feel like where I am in my life right now and how... Mm -hmm so many things have come full circle for me or are coming full circle. And then I feel like for the first time in my whole life, I'm really stepping into myself because I'm it in a place feels where that way. I can totally well, hear that in your music. By the okay. Way. Well, thank you for that. So starting out. Okay. So I was, so I did grow up in evangelical Christianity. Mm 
Mm -hmm. Um, I knew I was gay from a very young age, but growing up in evangelicalism, I knew it wasn't an option. And I remember, by the way, I'm getting over a nasty cold, so I haven't I all have of a sudden just had No, that's a, fine. I have a sore throat. Problem. Just came on, so I got water. Oh, and dude, that is going around. That's drops. exactly what I had. I played a gig in Wisconsin last week and mm. got off a plane, mm-hmm. woke up. No, actually, that's not true. I did get off a plane, but then like a day later, I got. I woke up in the middle of the night with this uh-huh. raging sore throat. That's then, the, then this bullshit came. But, you know, the good yeah. news is it's just starting for you. It'll be like a three-day thing, and then you'll just okay. have the cough that lingers on. Okay. Yeah, that's anyway, pretty much it. Um, okay. So, sorry. Or excuse me, rather. Um, so, I grew up in evangelical Christianity, and then, you know, just I knew that, that talking about... The, I, I just learned from a young age that I could not speak honestly and authentically about myself because it wasn't going to be okay. So when I think about how much anxiety and depression I struggle with, you know, and all the trauma that I have, like it makes total sense because when I was a baby, I started becoming anxious about who I was as a person. And I was, you know, believed that there was something wrong with me because that's what I was told. Mm -hmm. If I don't, I just heard them say, you know, if they don't, it was all, you know how it is. It's out of sight, out of mind until someone puts a name on it. And then it's like. You know, then it's like, oh, everybody piles on you and tells you what the fuck to do. It's like, but it's out of sight of mine, you know, out of sight. Nobody wants to talk about it until then, but then they'll tell you. But they're they're not going to, you know, nobody wants to know until they have to know, really. So I was outed in college. I went to Ole Miss for a year and a half. And I had a girlfriend who was engaged to this dude, and it was a thing. But, like, we, she grew up the same way. We were in a sorority. We were in that, that RUF fellowship bullshit. You know, that's what everybody was doing. That was our community. So that's what we were doing. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I was taken to the top of a dorm one time by this creepy chick whose name I'm not going to mention because it's rude. But the fact is, she took me to the top of the dorm and was like, listen, if you don't stop what you're doing, don't say I didn't warn you about what, what? will happen to you. Now, no. I... I knew it wasn't going to be somebody's going to murder me, but it was emotional abuse, right? Yes. So, like, so, so I was outed, and, I, and you know it, the circumstances don't matter, but suffice it to say, somebody saw something they shouldn't have, and then the rumor mill started, and oh. then and then like we were told we would be given tough love until we repented from our sins of, of being gay, and people stopped talking to us. Like we'd sit down at a lunch table and they'd get the fuck up and walk off. So it's like. Yeah. That's what I was dealing with. So I'd lost the narrative long ago. I'd never got to say, you know, and I'm having this identity crisis and I don't know what to wear and I don't know what I like and nobody's really asking me what I like. They're just dressing me up like a girl. But fuck, that's what my mom always did. And I kind of hate myself and like, I don't know what I can do and who's going to give me permission. I don't fucking know. Like I was in a spiritual crisis, you know, so. Yes. And I just kept pushing on, you know, I just kept surviving. Like all I was doing for such a long time, I hated myself because I I wasn't wearing what I wanted to wear, but I didn't have a stylist, you know, and and then the stylist was my girlfriend. And then she dressed me up as some weird clown person. I don't know. I just never, I think what it was is I never, I never knew exactly what I wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I knew what I wanted and I knew what I, I wanted to say in a moment, but I couldn't tell you what I wanted it to look like. I didn't know yeah. how to do that. I'm sure. I didn't know how to do that. I didn't feel I was like listening, I had permission to do that. I was listening. Well, if you listen to girl, I used to be an amateur. It feels like every, there is some deep psychological stuff going on <laughs> on those albums. And especially yeah. the devil in me. I wrote it down. I lost my youth fighting the devil in me. Standing here, I'm feeling paper 
within Cause you say one little thing It goes caving in, caving in, caving in And when you say that, having some understanding of what your story must be, I'm just imagining someone who's still coming to terms with the time they lost in their youth, trying to figure out who they were, what they believed, what was okay, trying to live authentically. Is that what you're saying there? Because that's what I got out of it. Yeah. I'm like, you're my spirit animal or like, you're the person (laughs) who understands me more than anyone in the world right now. Yeah, that is exactly right. I mean, And I just, you know, I've had so much grief. I've, I've grieved so much for so many years. I feel like I just lost because I didn't know what I had. I just, yeah. you know, and I always believed that it would just work out or somebody would come along and make it all make sense. And it's like, yeah. I've finally come to the realization or to the, you know, to the, to the, the billboard that is in my face. That's like, bitch, nobody's coming for you. Like there's some work that you have to do on your own. And if you don't do it, you cannot get to the next stage. Yeah. You know, I had an old sponsor in Al-Anon who used to tell me, um, and Al-Anon is such a great program, and I know you're not supposed to talk about it, but whatever. I love that fucking program, and it I have lots saved of friends me, that are, they love and it. it saved my life in so many ways, and everybody in, in the world, no matter what, what you think you are, could could benefit from learning from Al-Anon. Yeah. But anyway, my sponsor said to me once, you know, as I was going around the mulberry bush about some relationship, trying to be loved and by somebody who wasn't going to love me because I didn't love myself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she said to me, Garrison, there's some doorways we have to walk through alone. And if we're willing to do that, if we're willing to go in that door and go, you know, do the work to get th- to the other side of that thing, yeah. we'll never be the same. And I just remember thinking, gosh, I know that's the truth, you know, and it, but it's so hard to get there. It's so hard to, to allow yourself to do that or just to take that step because you know, it's yeah. going to hurt. You well, let me ask hurt. you this. I just as again, just witnessing you from afar on Twitter and being a fan, it feels like you're blossoming into the person you were always meant to do. What are you still struggling with? What is still hard for you? Because it seems like you're mostly out the other end of this stuff. Oh man, you know, I I would say what is still hard for me is still just you know, wrestling with my place in the world. I think what I wrestle with mostly is, is grief from the past. I think that's what is still, that still keeps me in my own way. If I'm being totally transparent, like that really keeps me in my own way, you know, just, and it's everything that, that are, that we experience on a daily basis, whether we're in the entertainment industry or not comparison, you know, hierarchy, uh, am I greater than, am I less than, you know, um, just not operating from a place of joy or authenticity, it's easy to get into that place of chasing and comparison and, 
I mean, man, how fast that that devil will take over is unbelievable. Like one thought and you're already in there. You're already in the the, the hellscape of, you know, of, of caring of worrying about what other people think instead of getting inside yourself and operating from this authentic, true, joyful place of who am I and what do I have to give? Right. Like not what can I get? What do Mm -hmm. I have to give? Because that is where I believe all the power is. Mm-hmm. And also, how safe is that? You're, you don't, it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. If we're in a place of, you know, of service and of, of just in our own flow, mm-hmm. you know, what, what's going mm-hmm. on here? Who cares yeah. what you're doing? Good Godspeed. I'm so glad yeah. that you're a gajillionaire, you, that mm-hmm. you deserve all that you want, you know? Yeah. And here, over here, like, I'm going to just keep doing my thing and, or yeah. whatever it is. It doesn't have to be about money. I didn't mean to go there, but it's like, no, anything, I get it. Whatever. So let me. Let me ask you this, because I, I, I know that it's not to the level of you, but when you, I've been doing this podcast, as I mentioned, for several years, and it's my little creative thing that I put out in the world. You know, yeah, I'm not yeah. an excellent singer songwriter like you are, but it's we we have <laughs> these. You're an hobbies. amazing host. Well, you're an you. amazing host. I'll tell you thank that. You. We yeah. have these creative things that are important to us that we want to use to connect with other people out there. Yeah, and I'm guessing the. Every day of my life for the last seven and a half years, I've thought of that quote, comparison is the thief of joy, because I find myself thinking about that too. Why is, why does this other podcast get better, more listeners or better guests or whatever? You being an independent singer, recording artist must deal with that a lot. So are you, if you were more, I don't know, successful or less independent or sold millions of records, do you think you'd still be grappling with this stuff? Or is it your place in the hierarchy of music right now? Oh, man, that's a that's a great question. Is that too pointed? I hope it's not. No, I just hope you can't. You can just my stomach just growled like a freak. <laughs> I hope you didn't hear that in your podcast. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Although <laughs> I'm obsessed with Viola Davis right now. Can I just tell oh. you, Viola Davis, first of all, and I'll, I'll I'm going to get to your question. I'm not avoiding. That's fine. Viola Davis just did an interview on Brene Brown's uh, Unlocking Us podcast, and it's one of it was one of the most inspiring really like hours of my life i've ever been okay, a i'm gonna go look it up gotta go look, look it up okay. but then do you watch that show hot ones no the chicken wings where he entered that show oh, yeah, yeah. yes interviews? yes okay, not regularly all, but i've watched it before yes first of all kate blanchett i'm just putting it out there right now if i'm ever with kate blanchett we're running off together and getting married i've already told my partner i've already told renee i'm like kate blanchett comes along she wants to be my wife sorry you're out she's in you're out but um, so Kate Blanchett just did an episode of Hot Ones that was the sexiest. If you can even imagine eating chicken wings being sexy, really? that happened. Okay. And also, Viola did one, and she just burped her ass off the entire time. First of all, she's the only person ever who's eaten every wing, and she was like, "Girl, I'm loving this." I mean, it was amazing. She was no going way. Crazy. It was awesome. Okay. Yeah, Look it was awesome. Up. That's but great. she she was just like I'm going down to the bone. I mean, it was yeah. it was just so great. <laughs> anyway, okay. um, you know, I think it's um, I think it's all of what you said. I mean, I okay. think it's yes. I grapple. I definitely grapple with my place in the hierarchy of music right now. There's, I mean, I would be lying if I didn't say that I felt that maybe I should be in a different place or whatever. Like I grapple with that all the time. But you know. Yeah. You know what? What's what I've really come to? Because all I can do is then put put it back to myself, like point it back to me, and ask myself, 
you know, well, what does that mean? You're, you're struggling with your place in the world. Why is that? It like, is there anything that you can take responsibility for? If you think that you would like to be someplace else, how, you know, what is the solution to that idea? Like how, how can you take responsibility? And I just, you know, what I've realized is I did not know what I wanted. Mm -hmm. I didn't mm -hmm. like, I am just now coming to terms with asking myself what do I want out of my life? That's the honest truth. So mm -hmm. it isn't a surprise to me that I'd be sitting in a place feeling frustrated or maybe asking questions about my place in the world or grappling with that because it makes sense. Yeah. You know, this is a starting place. This is sure. where everything starts. Like that was a mess back there and it had to be that way. But mm -hmm. now this is a new start. I feel like I'm in a, in a new place. Good. And in some ways, it's so weird, like that. I feel that I'm a new artist again, and there That's has been shame. There's been shame around that for me of feeling ashamed that I would be a new artist. Mm. How is that so? Don't yeah. you know who I am? Look what I did. You don't even yeah. because you know when I when I am in sessions with young artists who don't know me from Adam, mm -hmm. it is a weird thing to think about. Well, wait a second. Don't you know that I did all this stuff? And like, oh no, is nobody ever going to know? But, you know, yeah. maybe somebody's never going to know. I mean, the older I get, the more I realize that was a lifetime. That was a whole other lifetime. Yeah. A whole other life ago. And it's and it's awesome. And, like, you know, this is the 25th anniversary year of 18 Over Me. So mm. I've, been, I've been thinking about that this year and have done some things, you know, just some cool things around it this year. I did Good. a cool show in Memphis to commemorate and, like, you know. But it's interesting that, you know, I've been – trying to you know reconnect this year with my yeah. memphis roots and with you know my old memphis friends and my memphis fans and like you know i've been working on that this year because i think you know i got to a place where i felt so bitter about my experience in life that i felt like i had to divorce myself from where i came from mm. you know well i can't be an mm -hmm. americana artist because Man, I hate, you know, the fuck the South. Look what they yeah. did. You know, look what these Christians did or whatever. Mm -hmm. Look what these evangelicals, you know, so I can't, I, I could just like, I don't want to go back there. I can't go yeah. back there. And then I realized, well, you, you're already back there. Like that is who mm -hmm. you are. All of this mm -hmm. stuff and what you went through and everything you're learning and what you've learned, like you can't divorce yourself from that. That is you. Yeah. You know, that is you. At a time like now, a voice like yours, I think, is more important than ever. Look at someone like Jason Isbell, who I would put in your category. These Southern singer-songwriters that are writing about very real experiences um, in their culture that aren't of their culture, or, you know, that yeah. are, it's like a phoenix rising from that suppressive uh, evangelical Southern culture. You're up there with that. I'm curious, when you're talking about reconnecting with memphis and with the south and everything is that where ain't no grave came from
this is a it's a great single and it's just as southern bluesy as it could be is that where your where your head is at right now is that what well, the gospel. So I made a record. Of the, there's a whole record of these songs, and it's oh. called um, it's called Garrison Star and the Gospel Truth. And this past year has been. I don't know that one. Well, because it's not out. It's oh, not out. This, I'll say, send it. What? I'll okay. send it to you when we get off. But okay. you know, we started so several years ago. I wrote. I was in a random session with a, a very talented artist named Valerie Broussard mm-hmm. and another great, a very talented producer writer named um, Rick Seibold. And so we were, we were just in a random session together and we were going to write for TV and film. And I, I, you know, somehow we came up with this song called bones that is out. Oh, thanks. And I was thinking, you know, this is the time where I was thinking, well, you know, I'm I'm kind of washed up as an artist. I'm just never going to be this artist. You know, I'll just be a songwriter and I'll just go around and like write with younger artists and they can go make money and then I'll make money that way and, it, and it'll be fine, you know. So I'm in the session and Valerie's like, I'm like, okay, Val, so let's let's do the vocals. Get the, and she was like, what the fuck? I'm not singing this song. She was like, this is your song. I'm like, Valerie, you're the artist in the room. Like she's like, but who says who? She was like, hell no, this is your thing. That you sound amazing singing it. You do it. I'm, do, you know. And um, I remember my voice being kind of tired that day. And and Rick was like, no, dude, you got to do it. So I did this, and and I had sent it around. Like my manager at the time um, was like, what the hell is this shit? Like I've never heard it. You do anything like this? This is like, he was like, I'm kind of obsessed with this. I don't know yeah. what's going to happen, but I, I feel like. So that kind of opened up this this part, this like soulful sort of like gospely side of me that I realized, you know, is probably, you know, it's always been in my music a little bit, like that kind of, you know, rootsy sure. part. But I feel like, you know, this might be, you know, the growing up in church and just kind of mm-hmm. that 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 part of my upbringing musically that I that I really understand. Yeah. You know? And um, <clears throat> and you know, this was my roots, like showing themselves, yeah. like yo. You can run, but you can't hide. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you, you don't. So anyway, so like this is, so I started, I found this lane where I can be, mm-hmm. um, you know, artistically. And also it does mm-hmm. work for TV and film in this authentic yeah. way. And I, yeah. and I, you know, and I'm really proud of it. So my friend, Adrian Gonzalez, she goes by AG in the <clears throat> production, you know, artist world. Uh-huh. 
she and I co-wrote all these songs and she produced them. And I've just, I was trying for a long time to figure out how to get this record out, you know, in this kind of traditional mm-hmm. way. And then I just was like, you know what? Um, a friend of mine and I were talking and he was like, you gotta, cause we started getting, we've been getting placements on these. And he was yeah. like, Dude, you gotta start, you gotta start releasing these songs you can't just you know you can't wait and for like this label to come along because that's not the reality you gotta so anyway i started releasing these songs around the placements we were getting and ain't no grave is a cover of an old blues song and i heard johnny johnny cash's version which is slower and like more dirgy and we rocked it up so um so so yeah so there's a whole record of these and what i'm about to start doing is just releasing singles from that and then as as we go along you know, will it will it will it snowball into something? I don't know, but mm-hmm. I love this music, and I feel like the time to put it out is now. And we wrote yeah. two songs with Emily Sellers from the Indigo Girls. Nice. And, oh man, she is the loveliest individual. I mean, she, she is, seems like it. Oh, she everything you think she is, she's that plus like great. a million more great things. I mean, she's such a she and Amy both are. Amy like, was on here a year ago. And really? she was just, she's just the best. Yeah. She's like that. They are the kindest people. Yes. They're so fucking nice. And I just, you know, I, I just found this, um, I don't know where it is right now, but I found this shit. Anyway, I had this, I caught Emily's pick at a concert Ooh. at one of their shows in college. Ooh. This shit is over 25 years old. It's like, you know. And it and I, I took a picture of it and texted it to her yesterday. It's in a it's in a plastic baggie. You know, and I've had it ever since then. I, I thought I had it in front of me. I was going to show it to you. Not that you don't know what that, but those yellow Dunlop picks yes. that she yes. always played that say Indigo Girls on them. Dude, that's the oh. reason I started playing the yellow Dunlop oh. was because oh. of her. So anyway. Um, See, you're not going to have experiences like that if you don't keep going. No. Let me ask I want to ask you about when Glenn and I were talking, yeah. um, He, we were getting on the subject of faith, which... He's a deep thinker in that Dude, way. He's he that guy is so uh, over my head. I mean, pa- yes. you know, I'll be honest. I'm having anxiety about some of our long drives where he's just going to talk to me in in a, this language that I don't understand. <laughs> And I'm just going to be having to, like, hang on for dear life. Because he's like, that dude, I mean, his fucking dog's name is Rilke, you know? Is it? Really? Yes. His dog's <laughs> name is Rilke. I'm like, what the fuck is a Rilke? He's like, um, it's a poet. I'm like, okay, dude, you need to, like, dumb this down for me. You can't dumb it down. <laughs> dumb so, it all down. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear you say this. So, he, I grew up Mormon, and uh, he... So we were having this conversation about, and I'm always fascinated with people's faith journeys and where they end up and how they feel and if they maintain faith, how they do that. And because um, I'm on that spectrum too, I think a lot of us who grew up religious are. And he was explaining his, which is like you said, just so much of it is, it's not based on the Christianity that I know. It's, so it's over my head. Yeah. But he was like, but then Garrison, boy, Garrison believes. And she has, she just believes from her heart and uh, and yet she's had so many reasons not to, and yet she does. And oh. I wonder how you grapple with where you are on your own faith journey today. That, ev- that growing up evangelical and feeling like you did and being treated the way that you have ruin it all for you? Or did you carve out your own lane of faith that makes sense for you? The latter. Really? Good. I mean, I've, you know, it, what's interesting is I have never had this like you know all along in the in my upbringing it was like um you know the word and and christ 
and and him in him all things in him you know christ 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 everybody's talking about the christ and and you know it's just like man i I just i never saw jesus in any of that i just was always like what are y'all talking about this is not i mean y'all are like not this dude would not be invited to y'all's party can't you see that i agree and it's funny i get all bowed up about it like i will defend jesus I mean, to anything, anybody says some shit about Jesus. I'm like, y'all don't blame this shit on Jesus. Yeah. Blame yeah. it on this Old Testament patriarchal God who can't even love you without killing somebody so yeah. he can look at that. Per- you know, fuck this stupid story. Yeah. You know, you don't yes. have to know anything about the Old Testament and whatever, who this God man is up there. Yes. You know, you don't have to know about that to understand the love of Jesus. You don't. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I don't even know if I'm a fucking Christian, but I can tell you that I know that. Yeah, And I have always just, you know, I think because if I'm being completely honest, what keeps me from saying that I'm a Christian is that I don't want to be associated with all that other shit. 100%. You know, I believe, yes. I don't even know if I believe that I'm praying to Jesus. I don't even mm-hmm. know. That doesn't feel comfortable to me. And I think mm-hmm. because of PTSD, mm-hmm. what I yep. can, what I can do and what I feel and see, I didn't do this for a long time because I didn't think that it was okay. Yeah, You know, but like. What I can do is I can sit down and I can close my eyes and I can pray mm-hmm. to God. Mm-hmm. It's not the Old Testament God, man. Mm-hmm. It's not Jesus. I don't know what it mm-hmm. what it means, mm-hmm. but I know that there is something bigger than me that is working in conjunction with me and my life. I do yeah. believe that. Yeah. You know, to be honest, what feels more comfortable to me is just the universe. Yeah. You know, and when I was growing up, that was like Satanism. If you prayed to the universe, you were a Satanist, full on. And you were going to yoga, you know, (laughs) and you ate kale, and something was wrong with you, you know? Yeah, Um, yeah. But, you know, so I, I, you know, what I do is I just, I set aside time every day, mostly. There's days when I skip. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I try every morning to set aside some time to just be quiet. I have a couple of little books that I like to read from. One is Courage to Change and Al-Anon. Mm. The other one is this book called, it's by Melanie Beatty, and it's The Language of Letting Go. And mm. there's some language in there where she says, you know, she'll throw a little hymn in there for God. And I just, I literally, in my book, I mark it out and put mm-hmm. God. Mm. I just replace all that male shit mm-hmm. with God. Or yeah. I, sometimes I'll do she. Yeah. Because fuck you, you don't know. Yeah. Right. By the way, right. why would God be assigned a gender? That makes no sense whatsoever anyway. I don't but, know. I mean, it, all of those traditional ideas are starting to kind of be reformed, reimagined, re, uh, re-articulated. And, and yeah. no one makes Christianity less appetizing to me than it, devout Christians. That's exactly right. Because you know what I mean? It, I want already, no part of that. If well, that's what it means a, to be a Christian, to be one of you guys... No, thank you. Well, think about None of that. Looks good. You know, it's like in the War of Art, the hierarchical thinking versus territorial thinking. Hierarchical is greater than, less than. You're not operating from a place of authenticity in that space, and that is, it's a hierarchy. Yeah. You know, it's better than you. I'm better than you. It's a lot of it. You know, I mean, in my experience with evangelicals, a lot of it's about money and status. Yeah. You know, yeah. because they're all wealthy white people for the most mm-hmm. part. I mean, that yeah. was my experience. Yeah. I know no black pe- people of color. No people of color went to my church. Are you kidding me? <laughs> right. No people of color went to my school. No. So come nope. on now. I mean, let's yeah. let's just be honest. What, what yeah. we're talking about here. It's, a, it's a, you know, it's it's segregated it. off. And, you know, they even do that with 
And I don't even mean just segregated with black and white. I just mean right. like it's segregated off financially and everything That's else. It. I mean, all of it. They just start a new club when they want to. They're doing it in all the denominations. Now, the Methodists are split off, and the Pe- Presbyterians had a split off because the gay people came along, and, oh, God, mm-hmm. we got to go wait. You know, it's just, it's 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 a clown show. I mean, it's it so is. inauthentic. It's like, it is. you know, and I I like being drawn outside the lines. I want you to come at me. Come at me. <laughs> you know, you think you're going to scare me with your, like, bullshit? Come on. Yeah, yeah. I've seen a lot worse than whatever you got. I promise. That's true. You know, Did so, you just quote the War of Art as in that book, The War of Art? Oh, Stephen Pressman. I love that book. Dude, no one has I mean, ever quoted that book back to me. It's in my uh, book stack. You it like with the mirror cover and everything? Well, no, we have, hang on. We have but original pressings, and it's what? the cover is like an a mirror is a mirror. Oh, dude! Well, you got some kind of great. He's the guy that wrote uh, um, Legend of Bagger Vance, right? I'm reading that right now too. Yeah. Look, I love the goodness. war of art. Yes. Okay. Well, we have. Okay. So the original hardback comes with like a, it looks like a disco ball because it's got oh. like little mirrors yeah. all over it. Well, I read that book periodically. I love that book. Well, see, and I love. Um, I just love. He's such a straight talker, and he also is very, you know, he's effusive in with his stories about his failures. Yeah. You yeah. know, times that he, you know, times that he's just has failed his ass off. I mean. Yeah. He's honest about that, and that is really encouraging. It is. Because I have it failed is. a lot, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's awesome to, to have, it's awesome when people share those stories too. Because, you know, That's in true. our world, everything is about putting your best foot forward, no matter whether it's true or not. And well, it, you Yeah, know. and I think it speaks directly to creative people who are trying to connect, trying to find their truest selves, as you, not procrastinate take risks, take chances. It speaks to all those yeah. things. I love that book. I can't believe yeah. you just quoted that to me. That oh man. I, it's my, it's like my third or fourth time through it. It's yeah. become yeah. like a daily reader. Cause it doesn't matter, you know, what page yeah. you open to, it's going to be something you need it's to read That's as right. an artist, you know, that's it. Let me ask you this. How does your, I don't know anything about your family. I'm assuming how, how, what's your relationship with them? Are your parents still alive? Are they still yeah. deeply ev- evangelical? Are they I'm close a- to you? Yeah, I'm an only child, and they okay. are still, they're both still with us. They're in their mid-70s. They're healthy. They're, you know, I just talked to them. <clears throat> they're on their way back from Florida. So, oh, And wow. they have, they're sick with this shit, too. Oh, boy. Um, oh, boy. So they're on their way back from Florida. But, uh, but yeah, I talked to them. You know, we've been through, you know, because of the evangelicalism, we've been through a tough time, you know. But I will say, you know, and we're very close. I mean, it's just the three of us, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we we fight for our relationship, you know, Good. I mean, there's things that you know, my mom and I have a harder time than my dad and me. And I think it's mm-hmm. just because my mom and I are so different. Mm-hmm. I'm a lot more like my dad, mm-hmm. you know, and I enjoy doing stuff that he does. I just yeah. always have. And that was always a rub for her because, you know, because of my grandmother, they didn't think mm-hmm. that was right or they wanted it. You know, it wasn't what they envisioned. So that mm-hmm. was hard for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I've had to set some boundaries and we've had some hard conversations, but I love my parents, you know, and I would never, and it was always a conflict for me. Like I could never imagine not having a relationship with my parents because we could, because we disagreed about things or like that just didn't make any sense. And it, you know, even as ugly as it's gotten, you know, I just feel like, I don't know, as long as there's accountability there, I just feel like then, you know, why not continue to try to make a way? Good. I mean, you know, but they have grown. They've accepted you for where you're at in your life yeah, and everything they, else. They have. Great. They have. Okay. I mean, I know that's that I, I'm sure majority that majority of the battle right there. 
Well, I do feel accepted by them. I feel sure. like it's been a hard road and, you know, but I, and I know that my mom, I think my mom still struggles because of her faith, you know, because of, because that's a, yeah. that, that is a very hard from it coming from that, you know, evangelical place. It's very mm-hmm. hard to make room for anything outside. I mean, just, it's not an option, you know, depending yeah. on what your specific beliefs so are. True. So, so true. But, you know, that's not on me. I don't, you yeah. know, I don't care. I don't yeah. care about the rules that, you know, you're living by as an evangelical because mm-hmm. I don't believe in that. Yeah. So that's, yeah. you know, so that's also a rub for me. So it's like, you know, yeah. look, you know. Yeah. How'd you get on the tour with Glenn? How You guys go way back. I asked Here's him. your cover of All I Want. It's beautiful. We lie. The truth is not kind. You said neither am I. But the air outside so soft is saying everything, everything. And all I want is to feel this way, to be this close and feel the same. All I want is to feel this way. so cold It's closing the heart when all we need is to free the soul Oh, but we wouldn't be that brave I know in the air outside Oh, thanks. Yeah, I'm crazy about Glenn. And you know, Glenn is just so... Glenn has always just accepted me as I am. You know, he's snapped at me before about things. I mean, we're friends. You know, it's like we've We've gotten annoyed with each other or whatever, but he always uh-huh. he always accepts me as I am. He's just and I feel like Glenn is like a real fan of mine as a person. Yeah. And that always means that really is touching to me because he's a beautiful yeah. human and I feel like I've learned a lot from Glenn and I feel like he's helped me and encouraged me in a lot of ways. I, I, yeah. So so I asked him. And we I, I saw that he was playing at Hot Monk up in San Francisco and I was like, I wanna go I, I wanna I need to get back up to San Francisco. So I reached out to my booking agent, Tommy, and I said, yo, let's, will you call KC and see if we can mm-hmm. get, so then they offered us those two shows, and then, and then I just reached out to Glenn and was like, hey, dude, I mean, <clears throat> do you have somebody opening for you? Like, can uh-huh. I just do the whole thing? I mean, just yeah. threw it out there. And he was like, yeah. So anyway, that's how it happened. Beautiful. Beautiful. What a perfect asked. double bill. Um, okay, I want to ask you about some of your songs that um, are particularly, I don't know interesting beautiful that i really like one of them in particular is the two garrison on her 29th birthday or whatever
Uh, thank you for saying that because that's always one of my favorites. And I just, I feel like that record just like didn't, you know, it was a weird time. And I don't know, that record never really got its, never really got its listen. Was that know. on the amateur album? Uh, yeah, album? that's on amateur. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that was, that was the, uh, I love Pledge that album music. by the way. Yeah. yeah that's Pledge thank Music. You. So yeah. how did it not get, I mean, it was probably good enough for the fans who helped support it. It was, right. yeah, for sure. It was that. It was that. I mean, I think just I, I just wish that more people maybe have had heard that record because I think it's yeah. really, I think it's I got some special things about it. But, um, but I know it means, uh, I know it means a lot to who it means a lot to, which okay, is, good. which of course means a lot to me too. Yes. You know, I didn't mean to say that it that that wasn't something that I appreciate because I absolutely do. Good. Uh, just as an artist, you know, you're always wanting more. You're wanting more. Yeah, of course. You, you're wanting more exposure. So, like, that's all I meant. Of um, it but, um, it is so clear to me, like I was saying earlier, that the more in touch with yourself and comfortable with yourself, I can hear it in the songs. I'm, I've never spoken to you before, but I can hear it as I listen to your whole catalog from beginning to end. The last 10 years or so are filled with such urgency around truthfulness, honesty, overcoming, whatever. It is, it's all right there on the page. It is so intense. But well, also so beautiful. Anyway, I cut you off. Keep talking about two No, 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 thank you. Um, well, what did you? So, do you just want to know kind of where? Yeah, tell me the tell up? me the story because every one of these songs are like. I mean, we could get Freudian about the last couple of albums because <laughs> every song on there to me feels like it's got some deep, deep psychological stuff going on. Yeah, I mean that's you know my songs always have been a cathartic thing for me. You know, um, I probably because. When I was young, you know, I just couldn't, I couldn't really talk about what I was truly feeling. And so I wrote <clears throat> songs about it and poems and stories and all that. Well, to Garrison on her 29th birthday, my friend, Carrie Bear, who used to be my um, tour manager and bass player, he, he was an auxiliary guy, a very good friend and just <clears throat> kind of an auxiliary guy, like mm -hmm. definitely during the entire touring process or <clears throat> record cycle of, of, um, songs from takeoff to landing okay. and he on my 29th birthday gave me uh, a book called as a man thinketh and it's just this it's the easiest read i mean it's tiny little <clears throat> like one page might be four lines hmm. it's kind of like the four agreements or something it's just like a very old wisdom you know just short short paragraphs of of like wise thoughts mm -hmm. and um i mean obviously the the crux of it being that as a man think is so he is you know but he in the front he wrote to garrison on her 29th birthday mm -hmm. and i feel like you know that book was just one of the first little you know sprinklings or inklings mm -hmm. of hey you know something bigger inside being yeah. like don't don't forget about us you know like yeah. hey, you should be paying attention to this like there's yeah. there's something to this like wake up wake mm -hmm. up in there you know um and so and and so you know, really the lyrics. If I'm just thinking about them as I'm talking, uh, you know, it starts out sort of. Um, it start. It's really kind of it, at least in my mind. It starts out as just my experience in the music industry and how quickly you can be tossed out. Mm -hmm. You know, how quickly you can be kicked away for whatever reason. You yeah. know, and just the struggles. You know, the struggles that I've had of of being gay when I was gay. I mean, I'm still gay, but I'm just saying, you know, yeah. I came out. I mean, first of all, I didn't even get to 
like I said, I, di- I didn't even control the, the outing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was outed, so I didn't even yeah. have control over my own narrative or the own, own my own rollout of my mm-hmm. sexuality explosion or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, that was never important to me. I always mm-hmm. resented that I had to be put in some box. Who gives, you know, yeah. I should have been born in this generation. It's just like, I don't, who cares what the fuck yeah. I am? Who cares what you are? I don't care. Yeah. Why do we have to fucking talk about it? Right. Why do you have to put a label on it? Why do I got to wave a flag about it? Can't I just yeah. be me and go along? Yeah. Because no, there was no problem until y'all put a label on me. Now there's yeah. this big conversation and, uh, and some of y'all just hate my guts. It's just like, mm-hmm. what the hell, you know? So that's all in a name that's all in a label and, and anyway yeah. and i understand all the subtext and everything i'm just saying it's ridiculous mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but yeah you know just in the time that i was you know coming out and discovering my own sexuality it was just such a different time yeah. and it wasn't yeah. and, it, and it wasn't accepted it wasn't encouraged it was yeah. swept under the rug and out of sight out of mind it definitely it was inconvenient to discuss you know so yeah so that okay you know, there's bitterness sometimes that comes up for me when I see other artists who have really, you know, gone, have really, you know, gone a lot farther than me in terms of their career trajectory at this mm-hmm. point. You know, there's times when I get pissed off, you know, like, look, mm-hmm. were it not for me and a bunch of other people who took it, you know, who took it mm-hmm. up the ass, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, that probably shouldn't keep that in there. No, 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 no. That's well offended. said. We I don't know. People, no one's going to get offended. offended. I don't care like, if they get offended. Am I going to get canceled because I didn't mean it in derogatory? I'm just saying everybody knows what that means. Okay. Right. Right. So <laughs> we took it. We took it in the face. You know, we took yeah. the bullets so that you yeah. could now. But but that's also how it works. Yeah. Right. It's like people. I was watching this documentary on Sinead O'Connor. Man, it's called. Nothing I haven't seen it yet, and I'm dying to see it. Holy shit! I stumbled upon it, and really? I completely forgotten how much. Her music, how much that Mandinka song yes. and like that whole line of the Cobra record, like, and then nothing could, you know, the, um, yes. I do not want what I haven't got. I mean, on an artistic level, just the bravery and the badassery yep. of her just being her own artist and even Big just, time. even her brand of writing that out and putting a period on it. I mean, all of that is part of your creative, mm-hmm. you know, your creative assertion and your, your mm-hmm. inner warrior your inner child your inner like you know yeah. artist you know all of that is what it's about it goes down to every detail and like yeah anyway she was just so out there you know in yeah. a world that and and i just love that she shaved her head when they told her this really resonated with me i should have done this like i was like i should have fucking done this <laughs> i should have gone i just should have gone ape shit you know but uh-huh. like when they told her she had to dress up you know she had to p- p- yeah. make all, herself all girly she was like you know and uh-huh. i'm just like you mean mm-hmm. don't be an authentic artist? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, it's it, uh, as you're saying this, I'm I'm thinking of like Brandy Carlisle, who has a gigantic audience, right? And has no problem being her true self, right? And because she came a few years later, whereas Shelley Wright had that. Interesting. You yeah. know what I mean? Like she was right in that period, right? Yeah. Like bef- not as old as Indigo Girls, not as new as Brandy Carlisle, but it, when it was still a mm-hmm. thing, a really big that. deal. You I know what I mean? That. And now that. it's and she and the Indigo Girls might still have limited audiences because of where they were, and yet someone like Brandy Carlisle could do whatever she wants. It's yeah. so weird the boxes we put well, people in. I will say about Brandy Carlisle, you know, and, and I don't know Brandy. This is just me from a distance. Mm-hmm. What I what I perceive, I feel like you know Brandy and her team. 
I, I don't know anything about how all that process went down, but what I see is a very deliberate and hardworking team that knew where they wanted to go and knew mm. what they wanted to achieve and that mm. have worked very hard and been very smart to do that. But also, I also see an artist in Brandy who is very generous with the attention that she receives. I mean, she yeah. has used her platform to do a lot of good things oh, for a lot of artists that have needed it. And I would imagine, you know, I would imagine that it's got to be, and again, I don't know, but I would imagine that has got to be hard sometimes for her because everybody wants a piece of that action. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure they've got people coming at them constantly with their oh. hands out, you know, and oh. like, but either way, it, it, whether that's the true or not, um, you know, I, uh, yeah. okay. it's like, you know, I look at artists like Ani DeFranco, who's another yeah, hero of mine. Good I point. mean, listen, she, she did a lot of stuff that she's never gotten credit for. I mean, talk yeah. about somebody who, who I feel is very underrated mm -hmm. when she paved, she paved her whole interstate system. She that sure woman did. built, I mean, she has a line in one of her songs that says, um, I built my own empire out of car tires and chicken wire. And that, I mean, that is one of the truest, you know, lines so from anybody I've ever yeah. heard. That's exactly what she's done. And like, you know, and also when I'm thinking about it, it's like just because you don't hear about it doesn't mean people don't think it or sure. don't feel it or aren't saying it to somebody, you know? I'm realizing as we're talking about it, I think the difference, and it's subtle, but it's a big deal, unfortunately. There's a difference between being a gay artist and being an artist who's gay. And that's right. Uh, Indigo Katie Girls. Pruitt, Katie Pruitt said something about that on Twitter. Really? Not, I mean, like within the last year, I remember seeing something about that. Uh, like, you know, why do I have to be a gay artist? You right. know, why can't That's I just it. be an artist? I mean, it's true. And Viola Davis talks about that yeah. with going on auditions, you know, yeah. for all those acting gigs. It's like, you know, as a black, you know, a black and especially and she, these are her words, like as a black, very dark skinned, mm -hmm. you know, person of color. You know, she has to convince people, you know, she felt that she had to convince people she's not black. Yeah. And it's true. It That's yeah. the truth. And you have, to, you have to, I mean, people are going to look at you and say, oh, she's that. I remember I saw something somewhere where somebody called me a lesbian folk artist. It's like, oh, really? Is that what I am? Am I a lesbian folk artist? I mean, listen, that's fine. I'll be, I am part lesbian folk artist, but that's yeah. not all I am. No, I know. You know, I know. I'm a fucking yes. producer. I'm a songwriter. I'm an artist. I'm a singer. Totally. I'm, I'm a person. Yeah, named Garrison. Totally. You know, yeah. and that is my real name. It is. I know. I've never, have you ever known another person, let alone a female named Garrison? You know, what's funny is this family in Hernando that I grew up with, um, they named their daughter Garrison after me. Really? Yeah. Wow. Pretty cool. I wonder what was going on right then. That is wild. Yeah. Uh, well, that bitch, that's, she's the only other person, only other female. This is yeah. Oriana, by the way. Hi, yeah, I was going to say, I see your dog back there um it's okay a couple more songs one running around yeah the train that's bound for glory i yeah. love this song well there is a train this bound for glory and no one knows when it will come but when he does ooh, i will be ready and i
Um, it to me it marries again your current story with your religious with some religious imagery. Yeah. Tell me about the creation of this song. Well, my mom had called me. I can tell you exactly where I was. I was okay. in between. I was running. You know, I just I was running for many years. Just I think mm -hmm. trying to you know I run from place to place, trying to find what I was looking for, trying to find be filled up, and honestly just do this work around self-love and acceptance and forgiveness and, you know, facing my trauma and all this. Like, I just ran from it for a really long time. So I had run to New York because I was uh, obsessed with this girl I was seeing. And um, I, I was living in Nashville, but I was staying in New York a lot. And so I was at my friend's place, and I had all my stuff in my car because, actually, I was moving. I was in between Nashville and New York. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had left LA. I thought I was done with LA, so I had all. I was living out of my car basically, just with things from day to day. And mm -hmm. I was at my friend's place, and my mom called me and said, "I've got to tell you this funny story about Papa, my granddad, her dad." Mm -hmm. She was like, "We were just having a birthday for him, and he just, you know, my granddad was like, he was just a, kind of silly, you know, he was mm -hmm. sweet, never anything very confrontational, never really said any, you know, no confrontation, just mm -hmm. you know." horse eating the corn or apple or whatever, you know, and just like sweet granddad stuff, mm -hmm. you know, uh, we'd play golf and whatever. So, um, he, at the birthday, uh, they were singing happy birthday to him. And when he went to blow out his candles, he's, you know, kind of just got jokey and was like, yeah, I expect this is going to be my last birthday. <laughs> and, you know, and then my mom got all upset and everybody mm -hmm. was joking, you know, he was joking around and, he knew that she had kind of he kind of gotten under her skin, so he kept on. He said, "Yeah, I can hear the whistle on the train that's bound for glory, calling me home." And he lived another like eight years or nine years. Really? Yeah. He wasn't even sick at the time. He just no he way. just was making a joke, and uh -huh. so uh, yeah, so he lived for for another maybe even ten years after that. But anyway, wow. um, so she told me that story, and I wrote that song. I remember wow. I wrote the whole thing pretty quick by myself yeah. in the room. Yeah. Um, okay, tell me about the day the rains came to Skohari. Skohari, yeah. Skohari, Skohari, yeah. That, well, that feels like a very personal story. Is that the one that starts out in Minneapolis 
And no, then, that's uh, no, no, that's a uh, this hotel room. Needle in the vein. No, no. What is uh, it? These say the Devil's Rain and the Dying Language. Between the Devil's yes, Rain. Yes, that's, that's, that's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. Yes. That's the one, not the Scoharry one. Uh, either one. Okay, so I'm I'm conflating these two. Well, no, the, I love the song you're talking about. The um, the Scoharry song I, I like a lot, but that was more like I mean to be honest, I, I, my friend Josh Joplin has an octagon house in Scoharry, Scoharry, whatever. Uh-huh. I say Scoharry, uh, and I went to visit him and just kind of wrote a song about the town, and okay. I really just love the guitar riff. So. Okay, I did too. I'm conflating all these. So the needle in the vein is a big one that I want to ask you about, and okay. you're right the. Devil's Reign in the Dying Language. Okay. Those two songs in particular feel very personal to me. Yeah, thanks. And I, you know, I, this, I really, I really love those songs. I mean, mm-hmm. The Needle in the Vein I wrote about my relationship with the New York chick, and it was very, um, ex- it was very toxic. I put the needle in my vein. I put the needle in my vein. Not let the poison take my pain Not put the fire to my lips I put the fire to my lips Well I put the fire to my lips Now I can't get enough of it And is it too late? Is it too change is it too late all to change my old way well I finally drew myself a line and I finally drew myself a line well, I finally drew myself a line You know, it was one of those things that's either on or off, on or off. And it's, you know, very like, uh, the chemistry was very hot and awesome. And then, but the, the, the meat wasn't on the bone, you know? Mm-hmm. So I wrote that simply just as a, you know, an addict song about a person, you know, mm-hmm. I imagine, I mean, that's how I was feeling. Yeah. I imagine that's how drug addicts feel. Any yeah. addict feels. I was addicted to her. So I understand what it is to be addicted. I wondered to about that. Yeah. The imagery about being, you know, about the drug, the drug imagery is so pronounced in there. Yeah. But I thought, I don't believe Garrison's, I mean, I know you're an al but I don't believe you are a drug person no. necessarily. So only, I'm sure I, this is an yeah. intense love affair. Yeah. And it was a, about a person. Yeah. Just intense love affair. That's exactly right. Yeah. That went on for a couple of years and was, okay. just, you know, just really hard to walk away from. Yeah. But was never going to work. You know yeah. what I mean? It was never going to yeah. be anything more than that. You okay, know? okay. But, um, but the devil's reign in dying language. This hotel room smells like smoke. At least they gave me a view of downtown Minneapolis. The drunken crowd underneath my window stumbles from out of the bar behind the wheels of their cars they're hoping for the best hoping for the best between the devil's rain and a dying language 
Yes, that so that song um, I started writing when I was on my cross country journey from New York back to L.A. Were you in so, Minneapolis? No, I had, oh. but I went through Minneapolis to play okay. a show. Okay. So that was true. I was staying uh -huh. in. I did stay in a hotel room that smelled like smoke, and there was a uh -huh. noisy bar underneath. So yep. all that was true. Um, okay. I remember. Uh, but yeah, I. I had been on the phone. I was just so lost, you know, and I remember that LA has always been the place that's felt like home to me. It just always has. I just, you know, I'm not saying I'll never leave, but I just love it here. Whereas a yeah. lot of people don't love it here. I really have yeah. always loved it here. Just, I just do, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, I was driving to dinner to meet some friends last night and the, the like smoky sunset. I was just like, God, that's just so beautiful. It was like a beautiful, it was like six forty five. It was just so beautiful out. I'm like, God, I love this fucking place. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I remember I was struggling, you know, my dad was just like, you got to put some roots down someplace. I mean, go back to Los Angeles if you've got to, but good gosh, you stop <laughs> running around all everywhere. You know? And I was like, I kind of felt permission. I felt like he gave me permission. Like he was yeah. he saw me struggling and he knew uh -huh. And he was like, just get on back there, dude. Like, just put your roots down. Put them yeah. down. You know, yeah. where do you want to go? Put them down. So I did that. And that that was cool. But that anyway, on my way back, the drive back, I started writing that song. And uh, okay. started in Minneapolis. Wow. The song started in Minneapolis. Yeah, then, I love it. I, I wrote the rest of it um, on the drive, really, to, to Des Moines. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Um, do you, are you feeling... Are you feeling optimistic these days? I mean, prior, I believe, to the Amateur album, you were going to pack it all in. And it sounds like you still go through periods where you might, where you think about doing that. I hope, I pray to God you don't do that. No, but, no. Yeah. Uh, I, what, where do we go from here? Well, you know, I just, um, my main goal these days is to stay in the flow. Yeah. You know? To stay in the flow. If something takes me out of the flow, it's got to go. Yeah. You know I mean, that's just yeah. the deal. Like, you know, I, I got to stay inspired. I got to stay joyful. You know, I got to pay mm -hmm. attention, you know, and be present and deliberate about the, the, you know, the steps I'm taking, you know, and the, mm -hmm. the music that I'm making, you know, mm -hmm. that it's meaningful and that it's not, you know, that I'm doing it for the right reasons that I'm working from the inside out, yeah. you know, yeah. making sure go. that I'm in check mm -hmm. before I'm mm -hmm. making a move, you know, because, you know, in the past, and um, it, it's it was more about what can I get, what can I take, what do mm -hmm. they want from me, mm -hmm. you know, what can I do to get back into the conversation. Now it's just like, how can I be a part of the conversation? Yeah, yeah. that to me is a very different question. Okay. And, and setting an intention of wanting to be a part of a conversation is different than thinking you know what you want out of it. Mm -hmm. You know, already when mm -hmm. you really don't. And that's yeah. the problem, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, these days I just want to connect and I want to, you know, I'm competitive. So I always want to be in the game, mm -hmm. you know, but I don't want it if it's not meant for me and I don't want it the wrong way. You yeah. know, like I want to earn on my own merit. I've always yeah. been that way as a person and an artist. I don't want it the easy way. I don't want your friend to do me a favor. You know, why don't you just stand up if you like it, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. if, 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 if you know, wherever we go from here is, is up to me. Okay. You know, do you, um, we try to cover this very sensitively, the business side of things on here with all the placements that you've had, is that that and touring with people like Glenn or playing into, 
you know, shows where, where were you, Milwaukee or where were you the, the other oh, day? Oh, I played that random, yeah, I had one, yeah. not random, a one-off show. In okay. That's, um, are you able to pay your bills that way? And Sometimes yes and sometimes no. Okay. You know? Have mean, you had yes. to do anything other than music the last 20 years or whatever? No, I have okay, not. And I'm, and I'm super grateful for that. Um, you know, so I just figured out that my career was a business like five years ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I just mm -hmm. figured that out. Maybe it was a little more than five years, but really it wasn't until I got into my forties where I was like, why don't I have any money? Yeah. What the fuck is going on here? You know? Right. And so what I realized is like, okay, well, the reason you don't have any money is because you've not taken ownership of your life and your business. Mm -hmm. You know, what are you like? This isn't, you're not just out here like dicking around. You're trying to run a business. Mm -hmm. So that, and I never learned about that. And you know, that's been a play, you know, I've had a lot of, I've done a lot of grieving around that as well because there's just things I didn't know. Yeah. And I've talked to many other people, artists and not artists, who have said the same thing about just growing up and not understanding the value of the value of money. You know, it's not about status or what it's going to do for your personality or that's going to solve your problems. It's about sustaining yourself and it's about mm -hmm. making sure that you have the things that you need. And there's a, mm -hmm. you know, it's like I remember I was talking to a therapist one time like, and I had just been bitching and bitching about money and, you know, just why do these people have this and not me and blah, blah, blah. He was and he just like between falling asleep and no joke. He was like, dude, do you know why people who have money have money? I'm like, no, that's fucking what I'm asking you, you know. <laughs> and he was like, dude, it's because they know how to work the system. So if you want to make more money, you need to talk to somebody who has money and ask them how they did it. And I'm like, oh, well, that's why couldn't you have told me that like fucking right. 20 <laughs> sessions ago, dude. Right. But, it, you know, him saying that to me and it was still yeah. years before I buckled down and really started taking responsibility for myself in this way. But like, you know, it made a lot of sense to me. I'm like, oh, well, that's so that's practical. You know, yeah. I guess I, again, like I just always thought, you know, whatever, everything's just going to work out and it'll just happen. Yeah. And it's like, mm -mm, that's no. not, no, no, that, mm -mm. no, you have to prepare Sit for it. Down, not honey. Sit down, honey. You know, like, yeah, yeah. Ain't nobody, true. ain't nobody coming. Nobody's coming. <laughs> you know, you got to conjure your own Patronus. I mean, that's yeah. the thing I've learned, you know, it's yeah. like, it's up to you. Yeah. And if other stuff happens on top, that's great. But like, you got to do the work. Well, I, I, I might get choked up. I just think you're special and I love what you put in the world. And I, I want to share it with anyone who will listen. And I'm so grateful for you. I'm grateful that you are who you are. I'm grateful for the music that you make. I'm grateful for your story. I think it's an incredibly important story in this time in our history. And if it were up to me, you'd be one of the biggest singer songwriters there is as it is. I'm glad that I know that Garrison star is special, but well, I, uh, well, I hope more people find that out. Well, dude, I, you know, one of the things I'm working on in my life also, I've realized in the past where I've been in my own way is to be receiving, you know, Hard, sometimes, isn't it? Well, because sometimes I'm like, well, why don't I have this? And it's like, bitch, you have this. It's been in this drawer right here the entire time. You already have it. So what I want to say to you is I am receiving what you just said, and it means more than you can know. This Good. interview has been validating and Good. healing and, and inspiring and thoughtful and Good. gracious. And I just... 
I appreciate the opportunity to get to talk to you about my story, and I thank you for asking me those questions. Of course, you know? of course. I really appreciate that. It, it means so much, and I, I'm going to take this with me Good. into the tour with Glenn. I'm so Good. excited about it. I hope so. I hope so. I just wanted you to know that I I am here to validate your artistic movement because it means a lot to me. Oh, man. Um, Thank you. That That is so... Um, empowering today and Good. just appreciated. Thank you so much. Oh, real quick. We didn't talk yeah. about Elon. Um, so Twitter, my feeling oh. is, first of all, he may have taken it over. I haven't noticed any difference yet. I kind of hate Twitter in general. I do too. Um, yeah. I, I use I it. I can't walk away. Yeah. I can't. I know it makes me feel informed and that's yes. really all it is. Yes. And right. when, um, a couple of months ago, I finally had to emotionally detach myself from the political side of it because like a lot of people, I, every day I'm waiting for a certain somebody to go to prison or the people yeah, around sure. him to go to prison or sure. something. You know what I mean? Sure. And, and nothing happen. happens. We see it on television. There's committees. Yeah. feels like every day a new law is being broken and nothing happens. And I finally said, I have, to cut, I have to cut myself off emotionally because it's just too much. It's ruining yeah. my life. So well, if he lets Trump back on, and his dominance feels different, I'll just You'll leave. get off. Okay, well, I think that's a good, I think that's fair. Um, you know what did happen? Hmm. Nancy Pelosi's house was broken into, and I her husband that. was yeah. beaten. So yeah. that happened. Yeah. I mean, See, listen, I, we don't have to get into it. I'm not a fan of Nancy Pelosi or any of those people, because I think they're all in it for their own gain. Sorry, right. I don't give a shit. No, no, I none agree. of those people can be trusted. It's just a fact. Agree. I don't care what side you're on. That whole thing needs an overhaul. Yeah. It's so corrupt, you know, and that's, yeah. and if anything is depressing, that is depressing because where is. are our leaders? Uh, you know, no idea, but breaking into somebody's house and beating the shit out of somebody because you disagree or you hate somebody is just like, I mean, that's what everybody should be up in arms about. That's what we yeah. should all be locking arms with each mm -hmm. other about, you know, mm -hmm. and that's what I hope people, that's what I, I really hope like there comes a time where, or maybe there already is a place where there's a social media place where people are like trying to lift up each other in a positive way or like trying to make positive things happen. But that's I what I hope happens. You know, yeah. I, I, don't, I mean, because political, political stuff, that's not the answer. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen there, but that is not the answer. You know, I don't know. I don't politics know. Politics is they're not the answer. Thank you. Um, I think you're the best Garrison. I dude, really thank do. you. Thank you so much. You, you really, um, this has been a, the highlight of my day, and you really I'm encouraged glad. me, and I thank you for that. I'm so grateful. All right, there you have it, Garrison Starr. As I said, I know that she's fairly independent, and I know that she's one of the lesser-known artists that we've had on the show, but she goes back a long ways, and I think she's truly special and so talented. And if you know her, you know what I'm talking about. You'll agree with me. And if you don't, get on Spotify or something and listen to as much as you can, especially the albums that have come out in the last little while. Things like The Devil and Me, Amateur, and again, my favorite is called Songs from Takeoff to Landing. This song right here is called Pendulum, and it's such a beautiful love song about feelings, kind of swinging back and forth like a pendulum, attraction, comfort, all those things in a relationship. I just love her. I think she's so special, and I cannot wait to see them both in concert here in Denver next week. It's going to be fantastic. Now, next week, as I said, we've been covering a lot of singer-songwriters lately, especially people who kind of came up in the 90s, and next week we're talking to another one of those. Another more, I would say, probably independent artist, but 
this person has written a book on songwriting recently. It's excellent. And so we cover all this stuff. Huge thanks, as always, to Yana Manmakevich, my right-hand man, for everything. Thank you, buddy, for everything. Guys, you know what you can do. You can like our Facebook page. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. We should have a deep dive coming out this week. I mentioned when I was talking to Glenn that we have a deep dive coming out on Talk Talk. That should be this weekend, hopefully, if Yan can get to it. And uh, also, don't forget to sign up for Patreon so you can enter to win Glenn's CD. All right? Thanks, everybody. We love you. Shoes nobody can find